As knife makers, we all know the importance of quality handle material. Something that's both tough yet beautiful will increase the value of your knives and allow you to build something that your customers will love. When it comes to the handle material for my knives, I choose Swikowski Scales. Run by Sarah Halpain and her mentor, Alex Swikowski, they have a combined 20 years experience making handles and knives. They offer stabilized burls, exotic hardwoods, vintage micartas, and some of the best segmented scales in the business. Find them on Instagram at Swikowski Scales or on their website, SwikowskiScales.com. That's S-W-I-E-C-Z-K-O-W-S-K-I Scales.com. All right. Um, all right. You guys ready? We're ready, ready. Kyle. Ready all right. You're listening to the Knives Templars. Get ready, y'all. We about to Bobby Boucher you. Bam! I got a piece off of the wagon that Sam Houston used to take JFK to the moon. Pinto sauce. I like that. Pinto sauce. Pinto sauce. You're tuned in to the Knives Templars podcast featuring Odysseer Special Sauce Pinto. I was, I was a mean kid. Long time listener, first time caller, Eric T.R.E. Rivers. Holy crap, I've built something. Don the Train Watson. I can pay off all my credit cards and beef jerky credit line at Bucky. Joey the Riot Terrier. Conchon de Lick will make you smack your lips and anyone getting too close to your plate. Mark the Salad. You drinking my soupy? And Chip Shagman Carlisle. And now broadcasting alive, it's the Knives Templars. Coming to you live from Pork House Studios located in Hartsville, Alabama and other U.S. locations. This is the Knives Templars Podcast. We are the coolest knife-making podcast on the planet, and we are downloaded around this big blue marble in over 24 countries. We are on air, on demand, and heard worldwide in all of your favorite apps and at KnivesTemplars.com. Hello, guys, and welcome to the Knives Templar podcast, the um, all, second best, almost best podcast on the internet. Oh, let's go. Uh, <laughs> how, how about one of the top two? One of the top, one of the top two. two. Really one, one of the top five podcasts <laughs> on the internet. Um, yeah, this is Kyle Daly, uh, Cage Daily Knives. Uh, Chip is out today. Uh, he's not feeling so great. He asked us to... to pop in and we're going to give it our best shot. And, um, yeah, the, this is, uh, the knife pers- or knives Templars yeah. episode 35 season four, episode 35, the best podcast made to teach rising established makers like you, how to pave your way into the knife making industry as a hobby or a business, uh, heard in over 30 countries. And thank you for your listenership, making us the best rising podcast for, knife makers and knife enthusiasts on the internet uh click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us some reviews uh thanks chip for writing some of that stuff out so um <laughs> yeah chip always, chip always likes to ask uh you guys been to knivestemplars.com lately oh yeah oh, yeah mm-hmm. it's a great site yeah get your uh get your mark on the knives templars nation um anybody want to hear the uh hear the menu tonight Sure. Yeah, yeah let's do it. Way to start. Let's see what we got. All right. Uh, we've got the brew review. 
And uh, okay. I've got a, I've got a pretty good brew that I got. Anybody else got anything they want to talk about? Uh, I have a brew too tonight, so uh, we, can, oh, yeah. we can hit that at one point. Uh, then we got news and useful information. Uh, we've got some cus- some feedback, and uh, we've got the mark, uh, the pops baker's mark, uh, Mister Big Hand Dave, David Moore. Oh yeah, uh, always yeah. great talking with that big guy. Um, got the knives templars tip, I believe, with Jason Fry. I believe he's going to just uh, play the uh, the audio for that in post production. Uh, we've got a couple of topics for. Um, things that I'm especially interested in and have done. Uh, we've got the open mic and uh, the week ahead. So um, nice. yeah, that's what we got, got, got on the list here, guys, and uh, looking forward to, to chatting with you guys. So the, for the brew review, I've got this. Um, so revolution brewery is a um, group of guys here in Chicago and they make this straight jacket, barley wine, ale, aged in bourbon barrels so mm. uh this one is uh, a little bit hotter than the uh the barley wine i had last time i was on the show this one's 15 percent um so on the the can here wow. it says our barley wine ale wow. features american and belgian malts which provide oh, yeah. the base for this extraordinary ale after 12 <clears throat> months in bourbon barrels the award-winning straight jacket emerges with notes of stone fruit toasted coconut molasses and vanilla coming in waves as you swirl the glass enjoy now or store cold uh one of my favorites uh always has been it's uh it's uh not for everybody it's a little little pungent and uh barley wine ale is um is a style of ale uh before they really knew what beer was um so it was it's uh brewed more like a wine than it is uh, most of the beer that we do now, but, uh, still super great. Yeah. What do you got, Mark? Look it up. So, so yeah, nothing, nothing is as great as that, but, uh, you know, the last couple, uh, episodes, you know, I, I'm a big IPA fan, so I, I try to seek out IPAs and, and those. So, uh, but you know, Chip's been talking about, uh, some porters and, and a bunch of, a bunch of different, you know, beer. So I was like, well, I want to try something different. I, uh, I like Yingling. And, uh, so, uh, but, you know, I saw this, uh, you know, on the shelf, I, I grabbed myself a, a six pack of these Yingling Hershey's okay. and, uh, you know, wasn't sure what I was going to think about it. Right. So it actually, uh, you know, Hershey's chocolate Porter, uh, and, uh, so America's oldest brewery with, uh, some of America's oldest chocolate. And, uh, so wasn't sure what I was going to think about it. And, and I would tell you, it, it took two beers to, uh, you know, it was the first time I, I didn't think it was the greatest because I you're expecting that you're going to eat a bar of chocolate at the same time as as having a great beer uh, but uh, after I had that I had the had a second one uh, another night and then really once you just appreciate that hey it's a good beer with a with a nice uh, scent aftertaste of of just some chocolate in the <laughs> background uh, and you're not expecting like some chocolate milk uh, then uh, then you, you you appreciate it right so it's uh uh, again, I like IPAs, but uh, this was something different, and you know, I'd had I'd probably rated at uh, uh, you know a great IPA for me is five hops. I, I'd, I'd give this one this one four and a quarter. Okay, oh, good deal. Good I deal. forgot to give my hop. Rating. Yeah, you got to hop I, it. This one is 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 at least an eight. 
Uh, it's uh it's one of my favorite beers ever like i said it's not exactly for everyone um but uh that bourbon flavor and everything um i recently learned that i really like uh uh old fashions last week Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah got a got a few of those and yeah i like almost anything bourbon what do you got don is that one of them beers like 15 percent alcohol (laughs) it is Oh, yeah. One and one and done, huh? 15.0. Oh, yeah. You nailed it. Oh, yeah. Almost as much as cow cow, right? Is that what you're drinking tonight, Don? Oh, yeah. I'm drinking a little cow cow Creole brew right here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 15% chocolate. I mean, uh, well, yeah. Pure chocolate. But, uh, <laughs> no, you know, hey, I, I, st- uh, I still have mine and, uh, you know, you like that? Are once, you liking it? Yeah, one, once a week, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a cup. I, I like it in the evening and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it, it's not uh, hot chocolate and it's not coffee, right? But it yeah. just kind of gives you that coffee, uh, mm-hmm. you know, chocolate flavor that you can uh, just sip on. So I, yeah. I like it. Smooth, real smooth. Yeah. What do you got, Eric? Do you uh, do a Pepsi or? Sprite? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, right. some uh, some strawberry oh. lemonade, strawberry lemonade in a oh, big right. old, big old jar, mason jar. <laughs> uh, nice. Oh yeah, and Dave, Dave, I think you said you had some sweet tea. Oh yeah, go. I got some unsweet tea. Unsweet oh, right. tea. Yeah. Where do you live? Isn't that like- Alabama? Oh, it's not okay. like against the law. Yeah, that's that's a New Jersey drink, you know. From <laughs> yeah, in Texas, it's that key- is against the law. <laughs> it's keto friendly. <laughs> All right. Hey, good on that. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. All right. Uh, so with that, let's uh, do a, hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Hey listeners, let's take a moment today to thank one of our sponsors for today's show. And that sponsor is Ameribraid Grinders. Eric and Kevin over at Ameribraid have sold thousands of these grinders. And they are super nice guys and their customer service is excellent. I would know, I've been personally using their 2x72 grinder now for two years. And it has changed my knife making to a whole new level. So if you're in the market for or looking to upgrade from that 1x30 or 2x42, then give Ameribraid a look. There you'll find they have three packages of grinders to offer. They have a mastery package, a foundations package, and a get grinding package, in which all of them come at different price points. So I'm sure you'll find something that'll suit your needs as a knife maker. Also, Ameribraid has a ton of innovative attachments for their grinders. So listeners, you can find out about all of this at www.ameribraid.com. Go give them a look, see what they have to offer today. And now back to the show. And like that, we're back. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, so news and useful information. Uh, it looks like we've got the Louisiana custom knife show, September 9th, uh, Louisiana's pure premier knife show, uh, consisting of multiple vendors. Uh, Chip has a list of them here. Austin outdoors, Andrew Smith, Texas knife steel, Nichols Damascus, uh, HJP Legacy, Red Stick Roofing, Grain Creations, 
uh, Paragon. I believe that's the uh, heat treat oven company. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Louisiana Custom Knife Association is hosting it, uh, and it says for to be a for info on to how to be a vendor or a sponsor, go to lacustomknives.net. So uh, definitely yeah, check that is, out. Uh, Joey's not on tonight. Yeah. Is, is Joey going to that one? Is he he showing? Yeah, I think he's going to be there, but tonight he's having difficulty with his internet, and uh, he's been trying to get on and off. So. Uh, you don't know if he's going to be able to get on tonight or not. So, Well, if he doesn't yeah. make it on tonight and, and then you're going to be in the area for that uh, knife show, make sure you go and visit his table. Sure. Yeah. I got yes, to see right. some of his work at Blade Show. Um, yeah, he does some great work. Yeah. Um, and then I had a couple of write-ins. Um, one of our one of my friends, Sean Mullenbelt, he's doing the Great Lakes uh, Rendezvous. I always like to say Rendezvous. <laughs> um, but that's uh, July 22nd in uh, Michigan. Uh, right. I forgot to write down the city, but uh, uh, go to Sean Mullenbelt's uh, Instagram. It's 51Bravo. And uh, he's going to have a whole bunch of people there, some some really high-end makers at that event. Uh, they're going to be doing a hammer-in and different stuff. Jay Nielsen, Bill Binky, John Nagel, Josh Patterson, and Ryan Broadbeck are all going to be there. Nice. Uh, so uh, some good people to learn from there. And um, the other one I had was the Midwest Knife Makers Guild Hammer-In. That's August 18th and 19th in uh, Mankato, Minnesota. It's at the USA Knife Maker facility. And Nick Rossi is going to be the, the headliner for that. So any of you forging guys, uh, <laughs> Nick Rossi's uh, always regarded as one of the one of the best forger guys to learn from. And I believe he got his Master Smith last year. Uh, so really good guy to learn from there. So definitely check out those three events coming up. Yeah. They sound like they ring great. Yeah. I was at the, the hammer in last year and Steve Schwartzer was the, the main guy talking about canister Damascus. And I literally sat right next to him all three nights, uh, that we were there for dinner and man, that guy has some stories and jokes. And, uh, if he's, if he's not serious or if he's not joking, uh, something's gone really wrong. Cause <laughs> I, I don't think I heard him not making a joke very often through that whole, the whole time. So, uh, anybody else have any, uh, news or stuff going on with, uh, in the knife industry? No, not for me, man. Everything's going good. Yeah. We want to talk about, uh, some of the stuff going on in our shop. What do you got going on, Eric? So, uh, just working on this YouTube build that I'm messing with right now with the integral hidden tang, getting stuff lined up for that how to video on marrying up a, uh, handle to a integral bolster and getting everything looking good. And, uh, that's coming out really good. I'm getting a lot of information in there for people. And then, uh, started my Katana build for the YouTube knife makers challenge, getting that kind of lined out with the steel that I'm going to use. And, uh, it's going to so be all forged to finish Katana. Oh, you going nice. for a one body or a two body katana there? One body, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's now what would be hilarious is if I made a double bladed katana. Ooh. And Ooh, I, nice. I thought about doing that just because you know I'm, I'm I do that. That's the just Darth, how I roll the Darth katana. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to do a, a fully forged to finish um, to where it is literally you just sharpen it and uh, it's done. Katana. Yeah. So oh, I figured push myself and, and do that because it's going to have the the primary bevels and I'm going to be beveling the spine all the way down it like you would do a, a traditional katana uh, but you would grind it that's all going to be forged everything yeah. nice uh have you heard of the the edge professional on instagram my it's my boy nick and i i can never pronounce his canadian last name really? um he's he is all in on katanas and uh, stone polishing, all sorts of Japanese knives and swords and stuff. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's working on one that I think is 900 years old or something right now. Um, Jeez. he's here in Chicago and he does a whole bunch Ooh. on his kitchen table, which his wife absolutely loves. Uh, <laughs> definitely check him out. Uh, the edge professional on yeah, Instagram. He's got, he's got some nice stuff. Yeah. He's a, he's a really good sharpener too. Um, that's kind of how he got started and he goes to the, there's a samurai sword convention here in Chicago. And, um, he had took some video. I think there was one that was like $180,000 or something. Uh, Absolutely crazy. Oh yeah. Chip would have spit on it. (laughs) 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 Absolutely. With with this challenge, there's going to be a lot of different katanas. Uh, there's one of the guys that, um, I don't know if he's going to make a traditional one or if he's just going to do his thing, but there's a guy named uh, Keaton with far away forge on YouTube. And he made this like okay. cyberpunk Katana that lights up and actually has like a full battery system in the handle. And, uh, you turn it on and it's got an led all the way down the blade and, uh, it's ridiculous. And then he's made one out of, just scraps from a junkyard. It looked insane. Then he's made them to where they're super traditional too. So it's a, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he makes and what Dennis Tyrell makes. Cause you know, he's going to make some crazy, super traditional, probably gold inlaid with gold layers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Dan, I, I like to ask, um, is Ailey knives going to be in that Aaron? So I don't know if he is or if he isn't, you know, he's just been focusing on his, his, uh, family and business, you know, cause he has his, mm-hmm. he's got his own business, does a fiber optic cables yeah. and he travels to Canada and will do a whole entire business and pretty much everything by himself running all their fiber optics. And he's gone for like a month, uh, yeah. away from his family. Then he comes back and he's with them for a week and a half to, two weeks and then he's gone again. So he's just been focusing on family yeah. and business. Yeah. I miss him. Cause he's always come off the wall with some stuff too, man. In the yeah, challenge. Great, he's always done great a good knife job. maker and, and yep. great content creator. Yes. For sure. So what do you got? What are you working on brother Don? Uh, I just finished up stabilizing. Um, now I'm, I'm doing some uh, hybrid scales. Um, I had to redo a lawnmower, <laughs> rebuild my lawnmower because it went on the, it took a dump on me, but got that done, finished up some stabilizing of some maple burl. And I'm, now I'm starting to add epoxy to the resin. So to the burl. So yeah. 
you sent me a couple of pictures and that stuff's yeah. looking great. Yeah. Thanks, you're man. making Appreciate some beautiful it. stuff there. Thanks, John. Man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Can't, yeah. can't wait to see what it looks like on a handle. Oh yeah. That's going to look nice. <laughs> it looks good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What are you working on Mark? Uh, well, so I think it's important, right. To, uh, not just share the great stuff we're working on, but the, uh, the stuff that has completely failed in the shop. And oh. so, uh, so I'm going to go and put myself out there a little bit on this one. Right. And so, uh, you know, I've been working the, the Joey knife pro- profile that, that the, the knife Templars team's been, oh, yeah. been working on, uh, you know, the first, uh, one I, I cut out, uh, did a great, you know, I, I love the, the bevels came out perfect. It was like, wow, this was kind of the best job I did on the bevels. Um, and then I had some crazy idea that I was going to do this, this extra, you know, I have a, uh, uh, you know, the false edge on the back, and then I was going to have a, an opposing false edge going the other direction and then completely messed it up. And then I chased my mistake until I threw it off to the side of my shop. Uh, and then <laughs> so, so I start, I started over again hmm. and, uh, you know, I didn't get rid of it. I'm going to make a smaller blade out of it at some point. I'll, I'll cut it out. And, uh, and that's so why I started over again. And then this, this was, uh, after I, I cut the profile out and then I went to uh, blade show and, and got excited because, uh, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, I put, put a lot of, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, work on the on the spine there, uh, thanks to a, a great class I took over there that we'll talk about uh, oh, yeah. a little bit later in here. Um, but so I got it all done and, uh, you know, went to heat treat it. Uh, and so first time I was using Pinto sauce and uh, the Pinto sauce went great. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think I just didn't get up to right uh, hot enough. So uh, first time it just didn't harden. Uh, so then I tried to, uh, do a soak and, you know, I only have a two brick forge with my, uh, self-made burner, <coughs> excuse me. And, uh, so I tried to let it soak a little bit longer and I, I think I just kept it in place too long without moving, you know, I moved it a little bit, but so, so I, re- I, I kind of, uh, seriously, uh, I, I did a little burning on some of the edge. Right. And so, so now, uh, you know, I've been, uh, so really I pulled that out. I found the blade I had left is hard. It's just smaller. Uh, so, so, uh, you know, bevel ground it all out. And so I've been just doing a lot of, uh, makeup work on some of the mistakes I made. And, uh, I think the good thing is, is I, I learned some good lessons, uh, you know, out of it and, uh, and, and know how I think just as good as, uh, knowing what not to do is, is knowing how to fix something and still make it usable, uh, when, when you make one of those mistakes. So, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, worked out well. It was, the edge was pretty warped after I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I got it out, but, uh, was able to grind it out and, uh, and then still, uh, still, he, uh, uh, foul check pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I always, I always remember the quote, I believe Jerry Fisk was the first person I ever heard that said inside every 12 inch buoy is a three inch paring knife. So yeah. I know lots of people said knife makers don't make uh, mistakes. They just make smaller knives. Uh, That's another good one. So I've been working on a bunch of magna cut blades, uh, just finished file working and hardening. Um, What's that? 40. Man, I've seen all of them too, man. All lined up. (laughs) Yeah, I got, uh, I think there's 24 pocket bushcrafters and 14 bushcrafters that are all going to be going to knife center. um, Hopefully in a, in a couple months. So, Gonna be working on those. Be I just finished uh, heat treating all those. Took almost an entire day to heat treat and temper all those, and gonna be starting grinding on those tomorrow. So nice. Yeah. Uh, How much abrasives do you go through 
uh, doing all the grinding on that many magnet cut blades. <laughs> uh, so I use the incinerator belts for the 36 mm-hmm. grit. That's the only one that I've seen that's actually, or that I, for the way I grind that has really held up uh, on that. And then I don't, or for 36 grit specifically. So, mm-hmm. and then I switch over to the purple Bora seven ceramics from Phoenix abrasives. And, um, I get extraordinary life out of 60 grit and 120 grit on those, um, purple ceramics. Oh, so I didn't um, know the purple ceramics come in 60 grit. I only saw them in 120. They, they come in 60, huh? Yeah. And 36. Mm-hmm. Um, so for whatever reason, when I use the 36 grit on there, they seem to die almost instantly. And, but yeah. they work, those work, the purple ceramics work way better than the, uh, incinerator belt for the CPM 154 that I use. Oh, really? Um, so it's kind of playing around your grinding style as a whole bunch of different things to, to deal with it. So, um, yeah, I'll go through quite a few belts grinding all those. And then, um, from maritime knife supply, I get the Norax 936, um, structured ceramic belts. Yeah. And yeah. those are the, the only ones that I found for those higher grits that'll, that'll do magna cut, uh, pretty much everything else that I use over 120 grit, uh, magna cut just like laughs at it. It like <laughs> doesn't work. Hand sanding sucks. Everything sucks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, I'll be going through quite a bit of abrasive on that. And, um, I decided to go all out on the, so these are the first bush crafters. So my full size knife, it's a four inch blade, uh, the pocket bush crafters, like three and an eighth. Um, so my bush crafters, I decided to go all out and do the thorn pattern on there. And, um, it's a eighth inch thick, um, stock and, uh, having just that little bit thicker, you can get so much more waviness in that thorn pattern that just makes it, uh, pop that much more. So yeah. those are going to look pretty good. Oh, nice. So, All right. You mentioned things that, uh, are not so, not yeah. so bright, uh, before blade show, one of the knives that I was working on for my, uh, knife makers guild voting membership, uh, was a, uh, an Akiri that was turning out super great. Um, I was putting the handle on there. Uh, I was getting the handle all prepped and, um, I usually round over the choil kind of where your finger is Mm -hmm. on the backside of the blade, uh, Mm -hmm. with a scotch bright, uh, wheel. And, uh, yeah, it grabbed that, threw it into the grinder stand and broke a huge chunk out of it. Um, Uh, I I had spent a a lot of extra time making that one be as perfect as I can get it for the the knife makers guild knives. So I was pretty, pretty heartbroken about that. So it's uh, people don't always realize some of the the cost of their knives. You're paying for ones that, that didn't even make it there. Exactly. (laughs) You know, I'd I'd like to borrow from your, you know, one of your last uh, podcasts there, Kyle, which, I think I listened to in the wrong order. You know, you put two of them out that the pre blade show and the post blade show. And I, I listened mm-hmm. to them backwards, but uh, yeah. you know, I like the uh, discussion about, I, I think Dan was saying that he has this pile of knives that, that uh, you, you know, didn't make the cut. And then, uh, you know, slowly either as you're, you know, you get a better tool, your skills, uh, you know, improve, you, you take them back out and then you, you might be able to, uh, to, to rework and, and, uh, you know, bring life into, into some of those uh, again. And, uh, I liked your idea about, 
about marking the uh, the knife with with a burr uh, with, with what kind of steel it is because you know over time you can start getting losing track of what uh, which knives are what in the in the in the recycle pile you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah I always try to use a eighth inch burr and uh, Dremel or use my Fordham tool to write the steel on there for Magna cut. I usually just put an M. Um, but yeah, like for CPM 154, I write it on there and everything just in case those, if I ever pull those back out or I've had a couple of people that said, well, uh, I'm like, I'm not going to use it. And they're like, I'll, I'll finish it out. I'm like, have at it. <laughs> so, uh, there was a, a bunch of boning knives that I did that I, uh, drilled too big of a clearance hole, uh, too close to where your first finger swoop is. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was, I did the, the file work on, on it, uh, I pushed a little bit harder than I think I should have on the back maybe. And, uh, that whole handle just bent right over oh, <laughs> and it was like, well, all <laughs> these that I drilled are junk. So, um, but somebody else decided they wanted to do it. I don't know if they ever finished it. I should probably message them about that. Yeah. But yeah, not always. It's not always uh, high fives and uh, hand grenades or something like that. I That's think right. they say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's take a little break and we'll be right back with the Pops Makers Mark. All knife makers need abrasives, plain and simple. Here at Knives Templars, we're proud to partner with Phoenix Abrasives. I used to get my belts from another company, but they spent more time on marketing than they did customer service, sometimes taking two plus weeks to ship my order. That's not the case with Phoenix Abrasives. They're obsessed with committing all of their resources to customer satisfaction. Whether you're using a 2x72, 2x42, 1x30, or something else, they've got you covered. They even carry Rhino wet sandpaper. So go to phoenixabrasives.com shop and enter promo code TEMPLARS10 for 10% off your next order. All right, we're back. Uh, so for our Pops Makers Mark, I, I already let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Uh, it's a good friend of mine, and I think most everybody else has uh, met him or at least knows of him. Uh, David Moore, Big Hand Dave. Uh, David Moore 505 on Instagram. Yep. Uh, he's a competitive chopper and he's made some knives. Uh, he helps, uh, he's sponsored by Pops Knife Supply and anybody else or just Pops or Pops Knife Supply and Nuclear Systems. Okay. Ooh. Um, so welcome to the, welcome to the show, Dave. Awesome. Yeah, welcome. Glad to be here. Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. When Chip, Chip asked me to stand in for him, and then he I asked him who the the pops makers mark was because I was going to try to do a little little background research to to know him. And he go said it's uh, David Moore. I was like, I don't need to do any background on this guy. I know this guy. So <laughs> I actually sent him a picture of us uh, at Blade Show over there by the pops booth. Yeah, we've known so. each other for quite a few years. Yeah, you've been on the the Knife Perspective podcast and. Uh, uh, he keeps, he keeps threatening to help do a, uh, a new intro for us. So he said to stay on him on that. I'm actually in my music room now doing this recording. So, I um, I'm getting geared up. Of course it's been, <laughs> it's been two years. So, so, um, 
chip has on here that you're a politician. I, I don't think I knew that. Yes, I'm actually a city councilman for the city of Muscle Shows, Alabama. Oh. When did that happen? That happened, uh, I would say, two years ago, three years ago, 20 and okay. 20. Yeah. Nice. I, um, I decided to, after 20, 21 years of teaching college, uh, as adjunct at night, I decided to quit that and be a politician. So <laughs> now I, I really don't consider myself a politician. I, I've worked for local government for many years, I think working on 32 years. And, um, I really enjoy helping the people and I, I've lived here in Muscle Shoals my entire life. And so it just kind of made sense to, to help Muscle Shoals grow and grow in the right way and, uh, just promote Muscle Shoals and, and that type of, that type of thing. And I know a lot of people here. So a lot of people call me with, uh, you know, various city problems. So, so, so Dave, yeah. I have to jump in here is that, uh, so to let you know, my, when I'm not messing up knives in my shop, I, my day job is uh, director of public services for the city of Mobile and, uh, council members are politicians. I deal oh, with yeah. them every day. <laughs> so yeah. I, I like to consider myself a, a statesman. Yeah, All right, I well, like that. Let's go with that. I, like that. <laughs> I, th I think I, I think I would classify you as a public servant. I think that's uh, all right. Well, one of, one of the terms good. that might fit Dave the best. It is. I'm sure you do an excellent job. I wish you were down here. Yeah, <laughs> I actually know quite a few people that worked at malls. So. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple folks that I've stolen from Oz to work for work for me in the city. Cool deal. Cool deal. <laughs> so you're uh, you're comp like mentioned competition knife chopper. How'd you uh, want to let the guys know how you did with yeah. uh, the cutting competition this year? Ah, uh, the cutting competition this year, I come in fifth place in the world, which mm -hmm. is uh, really good. So I yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm pleased with that. I'm always striving to 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 do better. And uh, gives me something to to work on, and you know, move forward forward with. I um, I enjoy it. You know, it, it's a blast being able to promote knives as tools, and uh, you know, use knives on the extreme end. You know, because that's that's basically a two pound scalpel. Yep. And um, we get to just take it to extremes, and um, you know, cut two by sixes with it two by fours, two inch free swinging rope, um, you know, and believe it or not, what would you think the hardest cut well, for me or just about anybody says the hardest cut of everything we cut out of rope, straws, uh, two by fours, pool noodles, water bottles. What would you think would be the hardest? Tennis balls. The <laughs> Tennis hardest balls is the stuff. straws. Really? The straws are the hardest cut because really? we cut the bendy straws and we cut the top part that bends mm. and you have to cut an angle and you can't cut into the bendy part. So you have a very small window and you're taking a, a knife that's 28, 29, 30 ounces and you're basically using wrist action to flip it through that bendy part of that straw as fast as you can in that small window. Mm, yeah yeah i had some insider information so I, yeah <laughs> i was thinking of tennis balls man that's a tough yeah yeah those rolling tennis balls are um those are those are tough that's uh 
you know, when I first started, I think I probably went to the three or four competitions before I actually hit the tennis balls and golf balls. I, I come home and built me a table and man, I would practice those and hit every, hit them every time at home and I'd get in competition and miss. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Every, every so often I get some of those viral videos that you're in mm-hmm. and uh, people will send them to me and say, Hey, you should do this. I go, I actually am good friends with the guy in that video. <laughs> they said, no way. Like, yep. What? Yeah, that, that video is surreal. I, uh, you know, one, I guess a good thing that come out of COVID when, um, when all sports ceased, you know, barstool sports and others were looking for sports related content and, um, they picked that video up barstool That's sports nice. did. And it, it just went mm. into the stratosphere. I think it's, it's got over a billion views man. that one video God with uh, man. Yeah, with me, Big Chris, and a, a cutter from uh, the Philippines, I think. The okay. three people in that video has over a billion views, and and I every every so often, if I'm, you know, sitting in a doctor's office or waiting in a waiting room, I'll try to get on it and and comment to people. But there's so many comments, you can't just hit them all, you know. So I try to comment yeah. and and interact with people that's commenting on the video and. Whether it's good or bad, you know, yeah. good or bad comment gets views. So I, yeah. I don't care, you know, if it's mm-hmm. good or a bad comment or making fun or, you know, whatever. I'll I'll just I'll roll with it and, uh, you know, just rock a lot right along with it. So what knife do you use these days for the cutting competition? So I'm starting to make my own knives. Uh, um, that's one of the things I've kind of got on my my table. Uh, out in the shop i am currently still using a donovan phillips competition knife uh big d knives it's a cpm 4v he's he's made the competition knives for years and years i think probably 20 something years and um those knives you know when i first made one it just it sucked (laughs) <laughs> and you know my, the one I made just sucked. You know you, you have failures, and it was a total failure. Um, and I, I got to you know using Donovan's knives and using the knives, and th- and there's a lot that goes into the balance and to the the form and the design and the handle drop of that knife. And I'm kind of unique. Uh, knives have to be 15 inches long overall length with a maximum of a 10 inch blade. Well, most all my knives have a nine and a half inch blade because I have to have an extra half inch for the handle. Mm -hmm. So that changes the entire way that that knife is balanced, the drop of the handle and everything. So it's a, it's a, it's a challenge. Donovan made a knife. I mean, it, Donovan has big hands too. And, um, he made a knife and it just, it just fit. I'm also have one that I'm testing. That is a Daniel O'Connor knife, uh, with nuclear systems. He made a knife for me and, um, we're testing it out. He makes swords and all kinds of stuff. So we're testing it out also, man. I was going to ask you what steel to use on that. I'm glad you asked that. Yeah, I use I use CPM4V. Uh, I have 
um, let's see, I've used A2. That's a cheaper steel, and most of my prototypes are out of A2. Uh, um, Pops Knife Supply got me some 8670, so I was able to do some prototypes out of 8670. Um, I really like the 4V. Just me personally, a lot of people use the M4, and um, that's a great steel for that. Just I can personally get the 4V, I feel like, a little bit sharper. Um, it, it just seems like it sharpens up. I, I think the M4s may be a little harder, but you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're literally splitting hairs, you know, yeah. at, at that, at that point in time. Uh, some people use PD one, um, Venetus 4E. I've got some of that to use. So, but, but my favorite is 4V. Yeah. And what thickness are you using? Are you using quarter inch or three eighths? Or, three eighths. I know you guys. Yeah. Three eighths. Uh, the first knife that I kind of made, I didn't half because, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that that was just a bad deal altogether. So it, it was a lot of grinding. It was, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, that that chopper is going to make a bunch of paring knives. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> nice. Uh, so for the people that don't know, uh, why do why do the how'd you get the big hand name? Well, you know, I, um, for the guy that named me, the, the big hands, I actually have a rare disease called uh, acromegaly. And um, I also promote awareness of that disease. It's um, where you have a tumor on your pituitary gland that produces too much growth hormone. And my tumor started somewhere in my 30s, early 30s, late 20s. And so I didn't get tall. I just kind of got wide and bigger and my hands grew and my feet grew. And um, my very first blade show, you know, I was just overwhelmed. I was, you know, seeing all these knives and overwhelmed. And I was sitting in a line for a CRKT, you know, to meet Ken Onion. And we walked up there and uh, Ken signed and stuff. And I got this hat and I laid this hat down. He said, holy crap. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I was the last one in line. And he said, put your hand down here. So I actually, my wife took a picture of my hand and Ken Onion's hand side by side. And he, he kind of coined the, the term big hand Dave. I'd been called big hands before and stuff, but Ken kind of coined it. And I was like, Oh yeah, man, I got a, I got a cool knife maker, you know? So I just, I'm like, I just run with it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot worse things you could, uh, could get called, I guess. Yeah. A lot worse, yeah. but I still have that picture that, uh, you know, me and Ken onion and hand side by side, my hand actually just engulfs his and, and, um, I didn't get to see him this year, but, uh, last year, you know, we, we kind of laughed and talked about it and stuff, but, and, uh, you know, I've done some stuff with a work sharp that he's worked with. And so we kind of kind of been in the same circles and it's a, I don't, I think it's really cool. I'm, I'm not sure if he thinks it's kind of creepy or not, but I think it's really cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've got one of the Ken onion sharpeners with the, the knife maker attachment that I was hoping would, uh, help with tick. When I, when I go to family members, houses and stuff, they always say, can you bring your stuff to sharpen the knives? I'm like, ah, okay. So, uh, 
I was hoping that would help me out, but I, I didn't find that quite as, or just not used to it, using it as much as like the, my two by 72. I, I've got some stones and stuff now that's a little bit smaller and more compact and it doesn't throw some of the grit, um, around like the, that machine does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got the same machine after you talked about it and, um, I take it when I go on like hunting trips or, mm-hmm. um, out to outfitters or whatever. And, I'll take it. And of course it's an outside thing. You definitely have to take it outside because it does throw the grid around that, uh, that it's a little one by 18 inch bell. And it just, uh, it's just not for, it heats up, you know, it's just not forgiving. It will throw that grit, but it it does a good job. I've I've got a little craftsman soft side toolbox, you know, I'm put it in and throw it in a truck and go because I can, I can sharpen a lot quicker with it than, uh, you know, stone and, you know, sharpen, sharpen a lot more knives. Cause it's been my experience. If you get asked to sharpen one, you know, there's, there's another 32 waiting. Oh yeah. So, yeah. No doubt. I just tell them, just bring them to me instead of having me do like five every time. So, uh, cause those other five are getting like really bad by the time those other five are starting to get dull yeah. again. But yeah, I gave, I gave mine to my dad. He uses it for lawnmower blades and uh, some of his tools and stuff at home now. Um, Chip Chip said something about the Alabama Custom Knife Makers Guild. Are, are you a part of that? Yes, I'm a member of the of that Alabama Custom Knife Makers Guild. We uh we meet at uh, Josh Howard's shop, and that has been a a great thing. You know, and of course you know I'm I'm kind of a a hobby knife maker. You know, I've got a lot of irons in the fire, and um. I don't make as much knives as many people do. I've got actually probably two or three on the, the table right now that I'm kind of finishing up and stuff. And I've got other things I do, but you know, um, that's been a really good learning tool and a really good networking tool. Um, you know, of course I got to go at pops and go and be a part of the Georgia's knife makers guild. And I was really wanting something in Alabama, you know, closer because Pops is, you know, five hours away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, and this has really fit that bill of being close, being able to network with knife makers, um, you know, here close and being able to actually talk to them and get some information. Cause, you know, I mean, we're, I'm still learning, you know, I, I, I've ground for quite a while. I, I'm not as much a forger, but, um, you know, I, I really enjoy learning, learning from these guys. Cause I'm, I'm the, I'm old enough now and I didn't understand it when I was younger, but I'm old enough now that if I can learn something from somebody else and save me like hours of anguish and agony, then man, I will take, you know, two or three hours just to learn something from somebody, you know, yeah. so it's been awesome. That's called wisdom when you get older. Well, it, it's wisdom. called it hurts you know it, it hurts <laughs> well, that was that was one of the things steve schwartzer was saying that uh, he's got so many people that come to learn from him that he sends them on all these side projects to discover and report back and he gets way more information than he could have ever spent trying to do it all himself yeah yeah awesome all right uh let's take a break here and let's hear from jason fry with a knives templars tip
Hey, this is Jason. Today I want to talk a little bit about batch building. Okay, so many of us start making a knife, and we make a knife, and then we make another knife, and then we make another knife. But at some point, you might get to the level where you want to make some knives right all at one time. <clears throat> so I want to talk about that a little bit. This is tip number 266 in my book, Knife Making Hacks. It goes like this. It costs nearly as much to heat the forge or kiln up for one blade as it does for a dozen. Plan your heat treat days to do a batch of five to ten at a time, and you can save electricity, fuel, and time, particularly if you plan ahead and limit your number of steel types. The next tip, 267, is very similar. There are plenty of processes where batches of five to ten are the way to go. Profile and rough grind a group of knives, not one. You'll get into a flow and you'll have less belt and tool changes. Mark all the holes at once and drill in a batch. Tool changes and switching tasks hurt productivity. So that's the way that's the way I like to work, guys. If I'm going to profile a blade, I'm doing five of them. Uh, I'll draw them all out on bar stock at the same time. I'll move over to the bandsaw and cut them all at the same time. I will move over to the grinder, profile them all, one right after another. Then I'll move to the bench and mark the holes, one set right after another. Then I'll move the drill press and drill the holes, one right after another. Um, by doing it this way, you save yourself tool changes. You gain the time that you lose switching between tasks, setting up the new machines. And another thing it does is it helps you to kind of get into flow the mental state where you're doing things cleanly without effort without thinking almost not saying you don't think but you got to get into a groove and you can do better work by doing three to five at a time sometimes than you can by doing one at a time from there i'll do my heat treat again it costs the same to do five as it does to do one pretty much because the oven's got to get up to temperature either way when you're doing stainless, you only have to buy one set of dry ice or one set of liquid nitrogen. If you do them all in batches, it saves you time and effort that way. When it comes to finish grinding, uh, you do have to kind of come one at a time. But even then, on a on a finish grinding day, I might grind three blades and then hand sand them all over the course of a weekend. But I'm doing my rough and finish grinding uh, on all three in one session at the grinder. Again, just a way to get into kind of the flow state and avoid tooling changes back and forth. These kind of things will help you make knives more efficiently. And in some ways, time is money, right? So the faster you make them without sacrificing quality, the more money you make at your hobby or job. And I think that's probably a good thing. So for me, batch building is the way to go. More tips like this, check out my book, Knife Making Hacks. It's available on my website, frycustomknives.com slash store. Wasn't that a great tip, Mark? That was awesome. 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 I, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, you, you just can't go wrong. And I have not been through his uh, whole book yet because, uh, you know, every day I, I, I find another tip and, Again, I was like, wow, I, I'm glad I'm learning that from somebody else because I would have never thought of it. There you go. So, yeah, when, uh, It's good stuff. When we had Jason Fry on our podcast, he was talking about some of the tips, how uh, some of them were like had little 
little Easter eggs in there for numbers and different stuff. I think there was, uh, somebody, um, uh, at like lost a finger or something. I think they gave, he gave him like number four or something. I can't remember exactly, <laughs> but, uh, somebody will have to ask him at some point. Um, but, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's get Dave, uh, a vote for being a Templar. Yeah. Um, uh, Eric, what do you say? I would say absolutely. Brother Don? Oh, yeah. Welcome. Mark? Um, I would give him... Oh, oh okay. Well, wait. Uh, I'm Chip, you know, I want to vote for Chip first because uh, I think he's saying he's not sure. Uh, no. <laughs> but absolutely. <laughs> and then we, we got to make sure we end with Don. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, how, I messed that one up. Sorry, Chip. Uh, so, what, what, what's your vote there, Mark? So, uh, so I would say definitely. Uh, you know, great, great addition to the team. You got a big thumbs up from me and Don. Give him, uh, give him your final. Oh final, uh, yeah! <laughs> All right, Dave. So uh, Chip has a little disclaimer here that that doesn't come with any rights or privileges other than being a Templar. You don't get any purchasing power, no receipts. Uh, can you uh, submit for reimbursement? Uh, Chip do- did say that he would buy you food and drinks whenever he sees you. That's so right. uh, definitely make sure you hit him up for that. Uh, but you got to be in person. You can't uh, submit That's receipts right. and stuff and do that virtually. So. Hey, uh, he lives like 45 minutes from Ooh. me, so I'm coming to his house to eat. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there you go. go. Excellent. Right. Ribeyes. Give him some Nice. Yeah. Give him, make him some ribeyes there, Chip. <laughs> so, right. uh Yeah. Uh, welcome to the team, Dave. Yeah, welcome, uh, Dave. Thank you all. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. All right. So uh, we got another sponsor that we want to hear from. So uh, we'll be right back. Pops Knife Supply was started 40 years ago and is owned by four professional knife makers. Andy Roy of Fiddleback Forge, Alan Searles of W.A. Searles Knives, Joey Berry of J.B. Knifeworks, and Dirk Lutz of Dirk Lutz Knives make a great team of owners carrying on the traditions and business started by James Poplin. Over four decades in business is a testament to the best customer service with same-day shipping on weekdays. Pops only charges actual shipping and any shipping differences are refunded on your orders. Everything you need to make knives from grinding, steel, pin stock, heat treating, and more can be found at Pops. Visit them at popsknife.supplies. And now, back to the show. <laughs> and we're back. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks, Don, for uh, counting us down there for the back end. So, uh, on the topics here... Um, We've got, uh, Chip wanted us to talk about file work. Hey, what about, uh, uh, do we ever get our feedback? I, I know we had some feedback. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of moved, uh, moved around here. Uh, Chip had some feedback and, uh, I'll just, I'll just read it straight. Uh, 
I have, I have to say that I was listening to another podcast this week and heard a podcaster popping the bearings on my friend, Kyle Daly for not, do, not just doing something to have a fill in podcast while they were away. I must say I'm very verklempt. Good word there, chimp. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> because Kyle stepped in and saved us this week due to my respiratory condition obtained by hugging my grand Petri dish children. Uh, <laughs> I salute you, sir. And know that Jeff was just jerking your chain. Uh, you are a likable and helpful knife ambassador to us all. And I know you are all, all, also friends to us all. So yeah. thanks, Chip. And uh, Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. I guess I should have read that. It's probably more <laughs> awkward for you to read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can handle it. All right. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff and I have known known each other for a really long time, even before I think he was making knives. I started following him when he was making the lure fish, and I actually have one right above my head here in the, the podcast studio. So, oh. so I just looked up the meaning of verklempt, and right. it means overly emotional and unable to speak. Oh, no, that's pretty oh. much it. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> get emotional. I, it does get emotional. I, I don't know if I've ever known Chip to not have uh, have any words right? to say. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, anybody else have any anything for that one? Yeah. No, uh-uh. everything's right. good. Appreciate you, though, Kyle, for stepping in. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, glad uh, glad that I can be a help. Uh, Chip has in here, he wants Mark to announce, uh, your last boat trip to Maritime Knife Supply. Mm. Oh yeah. I forgot to, so Chip didn't tell you about that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it wasn't a boat trip. Uh, this was, this was a little bit different, you know, it's getting warmer down here in, in Mobile, Alabama and, uh, and I'm training. So, uh, so this was a swim this time and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, got up there, but then I was too tired. So I did not buy anything on this trip. But, uh, wow. you know, if, if when I got up to the Canada, Nova Scotia area, I would have definitely stopped by uh, Maritime Knife Supply because, uh, you know, every time I go on online, they have everything I need. There you go. Yeah. That'd be a long swim from you because I think you said you were in Florida. Well, I'm down in Mobile, so I have to go around Mobile. Florida. Oh, so it's even longer, oh. you know. Gotcha. Yeah, he comes right. by and picks me up and we go both go together. Yeah. <laughs> sw- swim stroke for stroke. Yeah, he'd go right by the house here. Yeah. <laughs> Don just rides nice. on his back. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, so our uh, one of the one of the topics that Chip had on here was file work. Mm, uh, what to look for in files, guides, uh, getting started in decorative file work. Um, I know Mark took the took the class. Um, yeah, he's got the the file with the golf ball on there. Um, that that I think has made my file work so much better. Um, I can't believe how that little um, little change there with how how making it easier to hold my my hands don't get as tired and fatigued as much uh, using a golf ball on the file instead of the the longer wooden handles uh, that I was using on my files. So. Um, I actually tried to give those file handles away. Um, the first two years that I taught the file class, I said, anybody can have these. I had no takers and on the way out of the classroom, the second year, I just threw them in the trash can because <laughs> I didn't know what else to do with them. Nobody wanted them. Um, but, um, yeah, what, what I'm looking for in a file, um, 
So the, the main file that I use is a seven inch, uh, slim, extra slim taper triangular file. Um, that's the file that I use the most for getting those thorn patterns, like triangular shape objects in the pattern. Um, that, uh, the extra, extra slim taper, uh, just helps to, um, have a really tight triangular corner there that actually cuts, um, a lot of the other triangular files that I've used are a lot bigger and they, uh, they just can't get quite as deep, uh, into that corner, uh, and make it look as good. Um, and then I, I don't really use the round files too terribly much anymore. I do use them, uh, kind of at the end a little bit for some fine touch-up work, but I mainly use the carbide burrs. Um, if I were to hand file all those rounds on, uh, doing the the batch of 40 that i was doing it would have taken me like a week yeah um where i was able to knock that out all in a in a day so um yeah kyle do you have a jig for that you have it is it in a holder and you just hold the knife to that or you just hand do it i do it by hand um and then so for my fordham tool i actually lock it into a vice um Mark saw the, the picture in the, the presentation. I think there's a picture in the book. Um, but yeah, I, I take the, I put my handle of my Fordham tool in a vise. You could even clamp your Dremel tool in the vise. And then I use the, the knife and I push it into that stationary burr. Okay. Um, once I started doing that, that spud or made my file work I bet. time decreased by at least six times. Oh yeah. Um, trying to, I was always clamping the, the knife in the vice, and then I was using the tool and trying to hold it. And then anybody that's used a carbide burr knows the, yeah, <laughs> and, no the doubt. and it's, you, it's usually followed by a couple four letter words. That's right. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I one, did that same process that, that you showed us and, and it worked, it worked great. You know, I bought those, mm-hmm. uh, like rubber, uh, magnetic, um, you know, what you, th- you put them on the vice, you know, vice mm-hmm. shoes or whatever you call them and uh, put the Fordham tool in there and it worked like a champ. It, it was great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was, that was one of the, the things I was most honored when, uh, Steve Schwartzer was watching my presentation at the, the hammer in last year. And he goes, I never thought about doing it that way. That's a, <laughs> that's a really good idea. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, he was like, I'm going to be by it. Or he actually, uh, asked me to help pull up the, those vice jaws, a uh, non-marring vice jaws. And he ordered them right there on Amazon. <laughs> so, uh, cool. yeah, got them delivered to the house. So, um, yeah, I don't use any guides and stuff. Sometimes I'll, I'll mark with little dots on the, the spine. Um, I know there was, I can't remember the guy's name right at the moment, but he did a little 3d printed uh, quarter inch lines, uh, to help uh, mark out your lines a little faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always had really good luck just using the ruler and going and marking the first one. And then I'll stack up all the blades and boy, having all the blades water jet cut, oh, uh, yeah. makes stacking them all together. Easy. <laughs> a lot nicer. <laughs> um, and then, um, getting started in decorative file work, the biggest thing is just, uh, marking it out. Uh, the, the more accurate you can make those marks and, uh, that just helps you just lay out everything so much easier and make everything more consistent. Mm -hmm. Um, that was your, I think that was your first one you said, Mark, right? It was, it was. 
So know, I went back and uh, yeah, I was like, that's what I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get back and, and try it out. You know, I, I actually went down, I didn't have a uh, Fordham tool. I, you know, I went out and bought the, you know, whatever the, the Harbor Freight version is. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and then I was like, wow, I couldn't, can't imagine I lived without that. Uh, you know, just for everything I do in the shop. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that was my first one. And, you know, sent a picture of it, gave me some advice of how to kind of take down the edges to make it flow a little bit, uh, you know, smoother. So I did that and really kind of cleaned it up with those round files, like you said. Uh, mm-hmm. and so now, now really, I just want to put the handles on so I can get, this, so I can see how it looks. I bought some black dye for the epoxy. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. For people dyeing the epoxy, make sure you start out with a little bit, uh, make sure you mix up your epoxy completely. So you can see, uh, usually your epoxy is more like an amber color and a clear, just, uh, make sure you don't add any dye at the beginning to make sure you get that all mixed up Mm -hmm. and then put your dye in, uh, and mix it together. And if you need some more dye to make it a little darker, but, uh, usually like a little pea size dot, um, it's amazing how potent that black dye is. So, Um, even if you're not doing file work, uh, adding a little bit of dye to your epoxy really helps, uh, hide some of those fit up stuff too. So, uh, yeah. Another thing too, you careful with white pins though. With, uh, I'm sorry, how much dye? Yeah. Be careful how much you put in because it can kind of mess up the holding power of the the epoxy. Yeah. The, the ratio. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Anybody else have any... Anything on file work or? No. Oh, uh, you should also go get one of these, uh, one of these books. Oh yeah. One of your uh, books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How to create file work and enhance to enhance your knives. Where can I get one of those books at Kyle? You can get it on cagedailyknives.com and you can also get it at Jance Knife Supply and USA Knife Maker. Yep. It's an awesome book. Uh, it really is. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad, uh, or uh, I was glad to sign one for Mark and Eric at the show. Um, How can I get this, a signed book? I uh, can get it at cagedailyknives.com. <laughs> get a signed yeah, one. There. What, what I love about it so. is it's got great pictures. It's got, like, it's a yeah, really it informative book. Like, if you want to be able to do it, it's a great book. It really yep. is. Yeah, one of the things that I really wished when I had started was having some of the dimensions, and that was one of the things that I, I really wanted to make in there. So I wrote it how I wish I would have, all the things that I wish I would have known when I started doing file yeah. work. So um, I th- I'm a little biased. I think it's pretty good. So It is um, good, man. Of our, you did a good job. I had to get another 150 of them printed. So oh, good. That's awesome. I uh, just got those back from the printer. and need to do a, do a video uh, announcing that. But yeah, Joey... Joey got my last one out of the, the original 150. So, um, yeah, that's good. You, uh, you know, in addition to the books, can you, uh, can folks still get the, uh, the 3d printed, uh, progression card? Yep. Yeah. Those are available on the website. And then you can also on my website buy the SL or STL file. Uh, if you have your own 3d printer and want to print one of the, the cards yourself, mm-hmm. uh, and on my website, it's also available as a PDF. So the PDF is $10 and the, the STL file is another five. So, um, I know quite a few people overseas that have bought that option, uh, 3d printed their own card and, uh, printed off their own uh, version because uh, to ship a book like that overseas, ship anything overseas, it's mm-hmm. just crazy expensive. expensive. Yeah, mm-hmm. even yeah. to Canada, it's amazing to me how yeah. how much something that small 
uh, still cost to ship it. Oh yeah, man. Yep. So, uh, all right, we'll, uh, take a break and, uh, anybody need to go to the bathroom? I do make your way there now. Thank you. Hey guys, what was your source of inspiration when you first decided to make knives? You know, many go to the books and also some go to the web, uh, but many also head to YouTube for videos. Well, you know, we are fortunate enough to have Eric Rivers from the Rivers Experience as a co-host on the Knives Templars. But you know what? He's also a sponsor. And I tell you, 27,000 followers can't be wrong in following his skilled and educational regular videos that teach the fine arts of making beautiful knives. I know because I'm a subscriber to his channel and I learned at my pace and without making those mistakes by walking in the dark regarding knife making. Be sure and check out his channel, The Rivers Experience, on YouTube or his website at theriversexperience.com. And now back to our show. All right. Uh, we're back. And the, the second topic uh, Chip asked us to talk about was disc sanders. Oh. Um, yeah. Variable speed, little, big uh, uses. Anybody use a disc sander? Oh, yeah. All right. Not, sure not near as much as I it, should, dis- but yeah, if I had mine. Yeah. What, what kind do you have, Eric? Man, I'd have to go out there and tell you the name of it. I, I've had it for probably 13 years, and uh, it's 12-inch disc sander. And uh, I had it from whenever I did uh, cabinetry. And, um, a lot of my tools converted from, yeah. from woodwork to, to knife work. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, I love that thing. Yeah. It, that's, it works real well. That's where I've got mine from when I did cabinetry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What kind, what kind do you have, Don? Man, I don't forgot, man. <laughs> I said right there. It was right there. I was going to say something. I forgot it, man. It's blue. Was it's blue. Is it a nine, nine inch? It's nine inch. Yeah. I got it from true, California. True grit. True grit. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got a nine inch one also. Um, it's a, uh, it's a Nielsen disc system. Um, yeah. You talked I think, about that. I think that's the, the best thing, uh, for kitchen knives. Although mm-hmm. 3M just made, uh, made my, I have to look for some new sanding discs. They decided to stop making the, uh, 900DZ, um, disc, um, in the nine inch size. So I think they, they stop at eight inches now. So I was pretty, pretty bummed to hear about that because, um, it's a ceramic disc with an open coat. So like, Mm -hmm. unlike on your belts, um, they'll fill in Mm -hmm. a bunch of that grain with that, uh, that coating to help promote grinding. But, um, that open coat, it was really great for doing handle material and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't clog nearly as bad. So, um, yeah, I really like the nine inch one that I have. Uh, you can use the nine by 11 inch paper and trim it. Uh, if you need to, I try to use the PSA pressure sensitive adhesive discs Mm -hmm. on there as much as possible. I can rip one off and stick it, stick another one back on in just a couple of seconds where it takes me. 15 or 20 seconds to uh, grab another sheet of paper, line it up, stick it on there, cut it off. Uh, I just feel like I, I get a little bit more out of my flow uh, when I'm doing that. But 
um, the three M discs stopped at 220 grit. So I was having to do that for the 400 and 600 grit mm. or 800 grit sometimes that I would go up to. Um, but, uh, yeah, I gotta have, gonna have to figure out some other, some other solution for me. Um, my boy, Ed soul, uh, they're in the Indianapolis area. Uh, he, I've been talking to him about the, the beauties of the, the disc grinder and, he ordered the Nielsen system and ordered me a couple extra plates that I paid him for. So I was really grateful to have, I've got six of those plates now. So, um, I can have multiple grits on there and take it on and off and not have to, uh, pull off a disc. That's not all the way used up. Yeah. That's a time and, saver right there, man. See, I've seen yeah. some people use yeah. ones that are beveled. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't really understand the purpose. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think having it flat outweighs the bevel. And then like I do eight, nine or eight, nine and a half inch knives. And I just do it on the top half or the bottom half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't go, I don't go through the center and, uh, I don't have any problem. Um, but, uh, I also use some, uh, some of my plates. I have like a 16th inch rubber, uh, 70 durometer piece of rubber on there uh so for those higher grits it gives it a little bit of cushion you don't uh get some of those uh witness lines in there Mm -hmm. from not putting it on there perfectly flat and then i also have the have the paper kind of go over the edge a little bit on those rubber ones and i can kind of taper up uh uh, and blend out that ricasso uh, on my kitchen knives yeah, I'll tell you, man, anybody that doesn't have a nine inch disc sander, they need to invest and get one. I mean, that's really yeah, I mean, that's over. I think it kind of depends a little bit on what kind of knives you're making. If you're mm-hmm. doing some of the bushcraft stuff, I don't know if it, I think it probably makes a little bit more sense to get something like a rotary platen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're doing any kitchen knives, anything with a bevel that's like two inches tall um, and you want to do a distal taper, uh, that disc grinder is a lifesaver. Yeah. Plus it also, when you have something like I had a 12 inch disc sander, mm-hmm. but the run out on it was so terrible, man. I'd used it in woodworking and it was so terrible. So yeah. man, what a difference when you have something that's spot on, man, you know, when you're trying to, especially I, I use it mostly to, uh, to do segmented scales or, uh, flattened blocks, stuff like that. And it works out great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a work rest for mine. Uh, I was planning on putting, getting one of those ones from Beaumont uh, Metalworks. They have one that bolts onto the front mm-hmm. base of the motor, and then you can slide that piece on and off. Yeah. Uh, I always thought that looked pretty, pretty cool. It was like, well, I'll get that when I have more money, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, never, ended up, getting, never <laughs> ended up getting it. I use mine for square and stuff. I've, I've, it's got a big, big old work rest off the front of it. It's about 14 inches. 14, 15 inches wide and about eight inches deep. Mm-hmm. And you can pretty much do because it's, it's you was for woodworking. So you can do whatever you got to do on it. You can bevel it. You can put whatever angle you want on it and do all that stuff. Or you can just take the whole face off of it and have the full 12 inch disc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you, you're, you're pretty much having to use those different PSA discs mm-hmm. right to for the 12 yeah. inch one yep so okay yeah. where do you end up where do you get those discs at so i've got a local place that i can actually get uh all of that stuff from it's uh it's just a, it's the same place i get 
my like throwaway uh two by 72 belts <laughs> and uh, oh man yeah. throw away <laughs> yeah. so because i i get my my a run of two by 72 the ones that i knock all the edges off of the the 90 degree edges uh i get those belts for 79 cents a piece oh 36 grand nice. <laughs> so Ooh. uh yeah. through a, That's uh, nice. a local place here and but they do uh Pretty much anything, woodwork, cabinetry, anything that you could possibly need, uh, they sell it local here. And I just go through them and get whatever I want. Nice, man. That's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Saves you a lot of money, man. Yeah. <laughs> Saves a lot of money. A whole lot of money. Yeah, because I went and bought all my my fancy belts while I was at Blade Show. And I'm sitting here looking at this $14 Norton Blaze 36 grit belt that – you know, uh, that I used yeah, in that last video. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> God dang, man. $14 for a bill. Surprised me. But, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I did that. And then I got some from, uh, Phoenix abrasives too. While I was there. Well, I seen that yeah. belt. I seen that belt on there. I went, darn, he stepped up to the plate. Didn't he? <laughs> when I watched your video, what's funny I mean, I went, oh. is, is that knife, <laughs> the, the blade length on that knife is only three inches. So you go and you go yeah. in there and you're like, zip, <laughs> zip, zip. And that, that belt took, I mean, I probably worked on those bevels for like 10 minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 112 degrees in the yeah, shop. Yeah, you better believe it, man. It was, it, it, so it was even hotter than I thought it was. Our, our man, actual hot, real fill outside was 124. No, I will never oh, complain about the Florida weather again. It's I promise you. Absolutely not. It was the highest it's been since 2003. Man. Where's that at? In Wichita Falls, Texas. North, North Texas by oh, the Red River. Goodness. Now, we have humidity here in Alabama, but, you know, the heat isn't usually that yeah. bad. But, you know, you can walk outside at 4 a.m. and it'd be 80 degrees and, you know, be completely soaked. So, you know, with the humidity. We have the humidity here too. So on that day, it was still 60% humidity. <laughs> oh. <laughs> absolutely oh. ridiculous. It was so miserable. Heart, hard pass. <laughs> Man. Um, yeah, up here, we've been dealing with the Canadian wildfires really? and all the smoke and stuff that's coming through uh, all the way down in Chicago yeah. and, and lower. Uh, it's all blowing across Michigan and uh, over into Ohio and stuff now. And um, it's crazy looking out and uh, looking up the sky and seeing everything like real hazy yep. and smoky and thinking that that came like 1500 miles yeah. uh, away. Yeah. Uh, and still ha- like you, I've, mm-hmm. I've gotten some pretty good campfires roaring, but uh, I've never had any smoke out uh, that didn't kind of like you look up like six, eight feet and it's kind of like not really smoky anymore but mm-hmm. yeah there's been if you uh if you google chicago and the wildfire smoke uh you can't even see some of the buildings and stuff really? um it's Man, so, bad. so dense mm-hmm. yeah Darcy. pretty crazy apparently it's a lot worse there in the in chicago next to the lake uh, really coming down through there yeah um anybody else have any uh any topics they want to discuss any Anything that's going on? Or? Oh, yeah, I'll throw, you know, a couple out there, right? So uh, Don and I were chatting this week, and this is really a question for everybody. Uh, you know, we were chatting because he has his, 
what, what do you call those uh, knife uh, handles you're making? The they're uh, resin? they're hybrid blanks. Hybrid, but yeah, like like yeah. a hybrid blank. Uh, yeah. You know that has a uh, you know a epoxy uh, and maple. Yeah, epoxy yeah. and a and a stabilized burl. Uh, you know, in a handle. If you have a block of that, is that strong enough to put on a hidden tang knife, or, or does the mm-hmm. the combination of the the resin where it attaches to the to, to the wood is is that not hold up? So you're going to be perfectly fine. Uh, a lot of the ones that do the the hybrids, there's not a mm-hmm. straight line. It's you know there there is jagged lines. It's wood mm-hmm. grains and pieces coming off of it. So whenever that that resin gets on there, I mean it's it's got a really good mechanical bond because of how yeah. uh, how much depth goes into those little grooves and all that stuff. So no, it's, it's perfectly fine for, for hidden tang knife. Yeah. That's a good question. I would say as long as you make sure you get your resin mixes, mm-hmm. um, sure. real yeah. right. Um, mm-hmm. that's the only, the only thing I could kind of see, um, is it going to be as strong as something that's solid yeah. wood or something like that? Probably not. Um, but I, I, I've made a lot of stuff out of those uh, hybrid blanks, and I just tell people you got to be a little more careful with it. Um, don't drop it on the floor and stuff like that, but uh, it'll be perfectly fine for uh, working and little small uh, bumps and stuff shouldn't shouldn't be affected at no. all. And I, I've seen people, <laughs> I've seen people make some ridiculous knives with some of those, but uh, all in all. Uh, I like the the ones that are like that for some of my chef's knives and stuff like that, that I'm going to make and I'll put the epoxy towards the actual cutting edge and the wood towards the, you know, the butt of the handle. And, uh, and that way, mm-hmm. whenever you're rinsing it off mm-hmm. or you're cleaning your blade, you're not getting the wood wet. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's worked exactly. out pretty well on, on some of them, but you can get some really cool looking hybrid scales yeah. that way. Yeah. And if you, if yeah, you think most of the, most go, of go ahead, go ahead. Most of the, the hybrid blocks, I like to buy the blocks. And one thing that I do, this is kind of on topic, but a little off. One thing that I do is that when I use the blocks, I'll have a little sliver left about a quarter inch or so sliver left of the blocks I always have. And I've started making, uh, chopsticks, oh. tops of chopsticks out of the hybrid. Oh yeah, that's cool. Blocks just go. I mean, you know, I mean, I I know woodworkers. We don't like to throw away uh, anything. Nope. So you know, and, and knife makers are the same way. You know, you can find a use for anything you got. So you know, I'm just kind of, kind of just making that into the tops of chopsticks. Yeah, keep keep so, all yeah. those cutoffs, man. I, I've made mosaic handles and uh, cutting board style handles with all the pieces. I mean, the the way that I look at it, when it comes to those like hybrid epoxy blocks and everything, we use so many segmented scales on all of our knives nowadays that not many of them are just solid wood. Now, if you go to Blade Show, you'll see a ton of solid wood handles and things like that. But most of these Mm -hmm. things that people want to order, they're seeing these knives on Etsy and all these places that have all these multiple pieces of handle material on them and uh hardly anybody puts a pin in every single 
piece that's attached <laughs> to, to those scales. So you just got to be mindful of any knife that you're going to use with any specialty scales. It, it's just going to be one of those, one of those things where, you know, you take yeah. care of the things that you like and you take care of the expensive things that you buy. Yep. You're right. Yeah. But I mean, no, I was, uh, you know, again, I brought that up just because, uh, you, you know, I called, uh, Don, I was like, Hey, I, he, he said, had a picture of one of his, uh, his, uh, um, hybrid scale, that hybrid blocks that he had on there. I was like, yeah, I have to, I have to buy a couple of those off you. And, uh, so, so then we were talking about sizes and what I'd use them for. So just wanted to make sure that we're, you know, using them in the right, you know, exactly. right, right purpose. Yeah. I always go back and forth on if I like the resin towards the blade or the resin towards the back, but I'm, I'm mainly doing full tang stuff. Yeah. So I'm not quite as worried, mm-hmm. uh, at all. Um, the resin yeah, looks really so. cool towards the back if you use something that's uh, semi-transparent. And uh, you just, especially if you're doing a hidden tang, because you get that full mm. look of that, oh, yeah. that resin and everything on there. Uh, you, you were talking about Aaron earlier from Ailey Knives. He did, a, he did one where uh, like the whole entire back section was really translucent blue. Yep. And uh, you could just yep. see straight through it. So that that epoxy had like zero nice, bubbles cool. in it. It was just it looked like a jewel on the back side of that knife. It was really cool. He did the <laughs> facets on it. It was a it was a cool looking knife. Mm. Yeah, I like to say one thing too. Just I want to go back to disc grinders or disc sanders. Yeah. yeah. I would say if you're gonna buy one or make one about like now Kyle, he made his own. Um and he I would definitely say if you're going to do, um, if you're going to do handle skills like I do, I would definitely have a BFD motor on it. Slow it down. Cause yeah. it will burn my, my one I had was a 12 inch and it would burn the micarta. It would just, it just burn it up. And, um, and cause you can't dial it in. I mean, 1800, 2000 RPM, it burns micarta big time. Yeah. And, uh, and, so, and it's like a record player. The, the center part spinning different than the outer part. Yep, exactly. So I would definitely invest and get a anything you're buying that's going to either cut steel or cut wood. Um, what I found is the VFD is probably the only way to go. Yeah. Except table yeah. saw and bands, all that stuff like that. But I'm just saying. VFD just... on your table saw. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, the VFDs like the cost for those have really come down, and the benefit is just uh, crazy. Especially if you're doing a disc sander, mm-hmm. uh, there's not much there. Mm-hmm. Don said I made mine. Like all I did was put a couple holes in a plate, and then I mounted the the disc to the motor, mm-hmm. and then wired up the the VFD. Yep. So um, if you're mechanically inclined, kind of at all, it's a it's a pretty simple build and. It's not nearly as complicated as making like a two by seventy two or anything like that. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, does it matter? Uh, I, you know, looking at a couple of those at Blade Show, um, I see some plates uh, you know, were pretty thick, and, and then I saw some that were actually pretty thin. I mean, is it, it is a thin plate? I mean, gonna you know warp or flex? I, I'm assuming it, it could or no. It's just that the aluminum strong enough. No, for that, or does that make a difference? No, uh, I think mine's about a half an inch deep, but uh, that's partially because of the magnets that are counterboard from the backside. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, 
Um, I'm always inclined to say stuff that's thicker for stuff like that is probably a little better yep. because um, you're less likely to flex. Um, but I don't know if like, uh, I don't know if you'd be able to put enough force in there no, by hand sure. to, to get it to flex. No, you're talking about the ones that's really thin. It's probably all steel, right? Or is that aluminum? No, I was looking at, so the, uh, you know, Amerimbraid had their new, you know, I don't know, I call it the transformer. They probably mm-hmm. have a good name for it, that it does, you know, like five different things. Come uh, by me now. That's the name of it. Come by me now. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one, one of them was a disc, uh, you know, it was a disc grinder on there and, and, uh, and the plate was a little bit thinner than I expected, you know, that I've kind of seen on some other plates. So, uh, just, you know, maybe the, just the technology has found out, Hey, there's no need, uh, to, uh, to have that super thick plate mm-hmm. anymore. No, because you when you yeah. when you're doing anything like that, you're not really pushing in on it. It's not like mm-hmm. if you're grinding on your two by seventy two. Yeah. I mean, when you're anything I do on that disc grind, it's not hard at all. Even even Kyle don't even push up against it. Or he may, I don't know. But <laughs> being a big guy and everything, but but doing some of the bevel grinding, I do push pretty hard sometimes. Um, I especially when I'm doing kind of that feathering up mm-hmm. of the to blend in up into the handle yeah i'll push really hard just so i don't get any uh hesitation i like i've just learned that if i do it a couple of times like really hard mm. and smooth uh that works a lot better than kind of like trying to feather it in mm. i've gotten a lot better results like that sure but now i don't so think there's give it, no problem. give it the gusto yeah i don't yeah. think there's no problem with a thinner plate i mean that mm. Yeah, I just bought one of the Bex Armory uh, grinder adjustable height stands that I'm going to be putting my disc grinder on. Um, I feel like the stand, or I have one of the Harbor Freight stands that I modified that I have on, have mine on right now, and I feel like it can move. I think I need it to move up another like four inches to make it a little more ergonomic. So I'm not quite yeah. hunched over quite as much. Yeah. Uh, and I think this one's going to be really good. I got some of the the lockable wheels that. Uh, um oh i can't remember his first name uh beck uh beck's armory recommended on their site and um i I picked that up from a matt blade show and uh it's like 72 pounds or something like that and uh he carried it from his table all the way over to mine and i was like or richard it was like richard you got to be pretty tired by the time you did that uh so but it's all like three sixteenths inch plate and it has like um, some one and a half inch squares and stuff. So you can put your attachments and stuff below. So if you were going to use it on your actual grinder, it has some storage and stuff built in there hmm. and then it's sized. So it fits uh, one bag of concrete in the bottom to, to even further make that base weighted sure. down. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I've got a bunch of my old uh, one and a half inch steel tooling arms when I convert it over to aluminum tooling arms that I'm just going to throw in the bottom there. So I think that's going to be, be enough weight down there. Oh yeah. Good. Um, anybody else have any, uh, any topics? Good. No, that's, that's been my, my pretty much my thing. Uh, now I am a, it's not really a different topic, but same topic, slightly different. The, uh, I was talking to Brian House, and uh, this kind of goes into our open discussion thing. And uh, I'm going to be doing one of his revolution grinders and one of those oh. Apollo forges okay. on the on the channel. I was talking with him about everything, trying to figure out 
what all I'm going to end up needing and doing all that. So I'm going to do one of those builds, technically two builds, because it's going to be the the 2x72 and uh, setting all that up, welding everything and getting it all situated and then doing a Apollo Forge build. And uh, it's yeah. going to be it's gonna be pretty cool. I've been wanting a ribbon burner for a little while and he's done a lot of R&D on that setup and I really like it. So I'm gonna go ahead and just pull the trigger on it and build those. Excited about them. Yeah, I think cool. I think what Coy Coy Baker said about that revolution or that uh, Apollo Forge. He said this will be the industry standard forge going yeah, forward. Yeah, I really feel like it will um, be. Yeah, I I I don't even forge, and I've I've wanted to buy one a couple of times. So mm-hmm. uh, just having the block that you can. Uh, unbolt it and throw some new blocks in there if you get flux all over the bottom or whatever um that seems like such the way to go um all four modular stuff like that and um and yeah brian's done a done a lot of work getting it all heated up yeah lots of people keep asking him for do you see that uh double ribbon oh yeah that that, that thing is absolutely (laughs) a monster yeah man pretty cool i stuff. mean i just figured uh, you know instead of trying to because i could easily build my own ribbon burner and do that stuff but for me the way that i look at it with my channel if if i build it myself that's great but i don't build forges for people if i build my own 2x72 that's great but i don't build 2x72s for people and if i'm going to have people watch the channel i want them to be able to go and get or make That's right. the things that I'm using to build these things. Because if it's just something that I made, I'm not going to make the schematics, the blueprints, the, yeah. all the stuff for people to do these things. And um, I want people to be able to use the stuff that I use. And I, I really just, you know, I really like Brian. And um, I think that I always tell people, <laughs> if you're trying to get into knife making, uh, the the biggest expense that you will never regret is a two by seventy two. You will mm-hmm. never regret buying your two by seventy two. It is nope. the best thing that you can buy. I think you can have one regret if you buy a two by seventy two. <laughs> if you buy, buy like a two hundred dollar one. <laughs> no, if you, if you buy one without a VFD. Right. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Oh, no, yes. for real. I think that's, that's good. Old... Yeah, no doubt. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. once you. Once you have one with a VFD, uh, I don't think anybody would ever anybody would ever buy one without yes. one. No, I know yeah, I wouldn't. I agree with that. I, I, I love you. <laughs> I love the horizontal that mine tilts. Yep. I yeah. love that yeah. tilting option. That was a that was a game changer for me. Oh yeah, was the tilting yeah. option you, too. You have the Beaumont TX, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people really like that ratchet mechanism that uh, that one has, and the TW ninety has also i know with me when when i went to buy one man and that that is a topic that needs to be a whole discussion in itself you know just the difference in grinders and and what you're looking for because me coming from a woodworking background you know i'm looking for something a little different and you know because i've i've done some sanding and done that and uh you know one of the major things for me was tracking being able to track because if you've worked with sanders 
you know, woodworking type sanders or the belt sanders, you know, if it's not tracking, it's a bad day, yeah. you know, and it, it it's yep. a really bad day. And, um, you know, I just, that was the most confusing thing when I was kind of changing my shop over and, you know, trying to pick out something, you know, is just, you know, and luckily I was able to go to different places and try, you know, different grinders and, you know, being at some of the hammer ends or being at some other people's places with blade sports and try being able to try that. But man, that is a, that's a, that's a huge topic. And, you know, the wrong grinder that's just not for you is that that's a hard, hard thing. Or if it doesn't track or if there's issues with it, I mean, that can really hurt, a, especially a beginner, Yeah, yep. you know? Yeah. Hey, Eric, I, I have to say that I think about you all the time and, 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 <laughs> and, and that's not in a weird way, but every time I have my, my Amer braid on like, oh man, I'm going to trial this down to like 30%. I just, I'm like, I don't know how Eric does it. How does he, how does he do the grinds he does without being able to dial that thing down? I, I, it's one, it's, I think it's a testament that, uh, of your finesse, Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it's impressive that every time I, every time I dial that thing down way to like, you know, sometimes it's like 20%. Uh, I'm thinking, I don't know how Eric does yeah, it. Yeah. Cause mine's got three <laughs> speeds fast, really fast yeah. and holy shit. Um, <laughs> so. It's, uh, it's it's ridiculous and uh it's uh it, it you know but i've been doing it for four years now and you're just you're just used to doing it and before that you know i've done i've done woodwork and i've done stonework where you do countertops or like stone uh builds and stuff like that where you're using a an angle grinder with cutoff wheels and polishers to do everything. And it's running 3000 RPMs in your hand and you have to get used to taking material off gradually, gradually, gradually taking your time. So it, when it translates to steel, being able to know what your body's going to do, know what the steels are going to do, know what, what all the different grits are going to do. You can be confident going to it and doing the practice. You know, I've made, hundreds of knives and with that thing and it's just pay attention to what you're doing and but yeah i, I can't wait until i have this vfd so just so you know because i'm doing the vfd that goes forwards backwards it does all of the everything mm -hmm. i can't wait well i need to i need I, I need to thank eric for a couple things back when i first started before I made my first knife and I was looking at grinders, he helped me to decide to be smart. Number one, get a VFD. Mm -hmm. And number two, get a small wheel attachment. Oh, yeah. And number For three, sure, get yeah. one that flips uh, horizontal, man. Yes. <laughs> so thank you, Eric. Appreciate you, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. I think almost all the grinders now flip horizontal, yeah. which is really advantageous. I, I didn't really realize. I was like, eh, eh, whatever. And then... And what, now that I have one, uh, uh, the bread serrations that I do on my bread knives, I use that small wheel with it on the side mm -hmm. and I'm just able to look right on it and touch it. Uh, such a big difference. And then doing the bubbles file work that uh, I showed yeah. in the class, mm -hmm. uh, being able to do that with the half inch wheel, mm. um, that just makes it go so much faster. Nice. Oh yeah. Very nice. So I do have a question. How many of y'all grind standing up and how many of y'all grind sitting down? 
I can do both oh. with mine because my table that has all of my so my two by seventy two, my drill press, my porta band saw, my Fordham, and all those things are all on a table that raises up and down a foot. So mm-hmm. I can raise it up a foot and stand up and do everything. I can lower it and uh, sit down and grind depending on if I'm doing a a bunch of stuff or let's say I'm grinding a, a two foot blade or a three foot uh, sword or something like that. And it's going to take me hours worth of grinding. Uh, I'll sit down and I'll, I'll lower the table to where I can sit down and, and work with it. But uh, me personally, it's <laughs> what's convenient for that time. But having that table is awesome. Yeah. I sit down or I, I built me a, tall enough bench <laughs> see where i can get up there and, and sit and grind i stand um i still uh used to be in on my feet all day working in the lab all day i do have uh some three-quarter inch rubber horse stall mat with uh some more anti-fatigue another That's like good. half inch rubber anti-fatigue mat underneath it um that's one of the best uh things I've ever done for my shop was to, to go to uh, tractor supply and I bought a bunch of those three quarter inch horse stall mats. And I just, I just covered the whole side where all my grinders are and my workbenches and stuff are Um, just that, that extra, that extra rubber makes such a big difference on your, your knees and hips and stuff by the end of the day. That makes sense for you because if you're doing again, 40 blades and you're having to grind all of that, you're just sitting there over and over and over and over again. So I could imagine mm-hmm. having something like that horse stall mat would be just anything that you can do to, to calm the fatigue down is just awesome. Mm. Yeah. Yes. A horse stall mat makes really good handles too on competition knives. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what we use for handles on our competition oh, knives is horse nice. stall mat. Now, <laughs> Grinding it and shaping it is terrible. I bet. But yeah. when you're using it, the shock absorption is, I mean, it, it, it's its amazing, the shock mm-hmm. absorption. I've actually taken a lot of my machetes and stuff that I've used, you know, out in the woods or camping or hunting, preparing to hunt, and I've kind of changed them over to horse stall mat handles. What pins are you using that. for that? What pins and epoxies are you using to make that happen? Um... I'm using G flex epoxy and just whatever pins I've, I've got. If I've got some brass pins, I've also used some, uh, G 10 pins and they work just fine. Yeah. So, but I use the G flex. I really like it. You know, it, it just seems like it flexes with it and it doesn't pop off, you know, in real heavy, hard use. Not that I've ever had any pop off, but I'm, I'm talking really extreme use, you know, yeah. And um, that G Flex is is just been my go to. I really like it. Yeah, I've got some of the material that would be built for for that, and uh, I've been debating on using it. It's just sitting in my my uh, handle material bin that I have out there. I got a I got a good square piece of it, <laughs> and I've been debating on using that stuff. So I might have to try that. There's actually how many, how many- two, two types of horse stall mat. There's a there's one type that's got real fine grain mm-hmm. and so there's is. another type that's got a real bit thicker grain to it, you know, bigger grain. So if you're going to do a handle, get the finer grain horse stall. Yeah. That, that's Where what you this get that is. At? It's real, real, real fine. 
uh, tractor supply, rural king, okay. any of the, the tractor farm home kind of stores have that. Cool. So Eric, how many, uh, how many, uh, knives worth of handle material do you think you have on the wall? Uh, man, I, I probably have, I, I've got 40, 40, 45 blocks right now of stabilized different types of, uh, Karelian maple, burls, buckeyes, uh, all that stuff because, uh, Oleg, the guy over in Russia, he's one of my sponsors and, uh, I get a lot of blocks, but I've got that. And then probably about 35 sets of scales. Uh, Darn. that's all less than I, than I thought you were yeah, going to say. It's, I have a, ma- I have a handle material problem. I've got <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of <clears throat> makers have that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got probably 600, I'm not yeah. even joking, 600 pounds of canvas micarta that's all like two inches plus thick. Um, yeah, I just can't can't help myself. I keep buying it all the Jeez. time. And uh, I probably have I probably have at least 200 blocks of wood uh, that I just keep buying. So you're a hoarder. I have a, <laughs> I, I tell my wife I have gas, gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know I know brother Don, he probably has four or five hundred knives worth of handle material with all the, the blocks and stuff he has from his turning days. Yeah, I got quite a bit, man. I just put a couple of pieces of buckeye I stabilized here a while back on here. So this little piece would probably be good for a pin. Yeah, that's <laughs> That's what I did, man. I still got a bunch of stuff for pins, man. I'm I'm slowly selling them out, but a lot of stabilized burls, stuff like that for pins. Yeah. So. How about you, Mark? Do you have a handle material problem? So I'm 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 a aspiring handle material problem uh, person, right? And so, uh, you know, I <laughs> so so I started off with uh, you know when I made my first two knives, I knew a guy who made uh, cabinetry, and uh, so he had a, a He's like, hey, you need some wood? I have walnut. I was like, really? And so he's like, well, yeah, how thick you want it? And so he cut me up like, I don't know, a uh, hundred scales of walnut, you know, just the right size for scales. So, but it, it's not stabilized, but, you know, I've used it. It's pretty good. Um, and so I'm saving it for when I start stabilizing. So I have a whole box of that. Uh, I have a, um, and a couple other uh, knives in there, but, but then I have some Oleg's uh, Oleg's wood because, uh, you know, that's great. And then I bought some stuff at, at, uh, blade show. Now, n- now it's like, I almost feel like I can't stop. I'm like, Oh, I got it. So then I had, I wanted to try some Juma. So I bought some pieces of Juma, uh, you know, on that, uh, maker, yeah, maker material supply. Yeah. yeah. Maker yeah. material supply. So yeah. I, I bought some stuff from them and, uh, then I've been looking for this, yeah. uh, your shop's going to hate uh, you whenever you work with that Juma. <laughs> Your shop is oh, your really? shop is gonna want to kill you. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying that on a knife. The like finest some, my son dust, loves the finest dust you will ever have happen to your shop. Oh, really? Yeah, it that yeah. dust will be uh, inside the windows if you have windows in your shop. It's like mm, like do, cat do, hair. So, so uh, you'll be finding. Well, my son should appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you'll be you'll be finding that stuff everywhere the first time i cut into it it was like uh-huh. <laughs> it just went oh, everywhere yeah. i tell you g10 is pretty pretty bad it's, too, man. it's five times worse stuff, than g10 man. is it man mm. have you ever used Kiranite? Oh, yeah. 
I just got uh, some from this company he was talking about, and uh, I'm gonna try it. Not cure night, yeah, yeah. I got some of that too. So. I'm about to say you should. You're, you're a pin pin turner, man. <laughs> yeah, cure night. And I also Kira got night. some rich light. Rich light. Yeah, it's called paper McCarter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's like anything else, cool. man. <laughs> He's just it's like cracked to wood material for life. Paper so, like cracked to crackhead. Yeah. You know? so now that we're on the subject, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Don. Go ahead. No, go ahead, man. I'm good. I'm good. So, so what's the? Uh, so I don't have any. What, what's the big deal about like the the antique uh, micartas and and uh, you know all those? Everybody keeps saying they want to get a hold of those. And I mean, is is it you know better? Is it just the color? Is it uh, you know is all the chemicals in there that's going to kill you when you sand it? Like what what's what's the appeal? Is, what's good about it? All the above. Okay. <laughs> all the above. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the 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 especially the Westinghouse stuff yeah. is the the most desirable, and I think that's just because Westinghouse is a big name. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a bunch of other uh, international paper and a bunch of other places made different micartas and stuff like that, but uh, the Westinghouse has got the biggest name behind it. Um, they're the ones. They're the only actual true micarta uh, that you can buy. Uh, they actually trade or. Uh, copyrighted that mm. name okay and uh when they stopped making it um they kind of just didn't enforce it and people can call micarta so everything else is uh uh phenolic or yeah phenolic um, uh garolite i think is the other the other term mm. that people use for it um uh, but westinghouse oh, true westinghouse is the only thing you're supposed to call micarta yeah. mm. um but um yeah the just the patina in it Usually from all the years, it turns like a really dark, beautiful brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the canvas weaves and stuff they've used in it uh, gives it a really wood-like uh, texture. That's why I like the thicker cut stuff because mm-hmm. um, I put it on the end grain. So I cut it oh, yeah. uh, so all the layers are perpendicular to the blade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that stuff looks cool. Did you ever um, buy any of those a couple of the big pieces? old the big old blocks of them that were like two feet long, two inches uh, tall and yeah, like a foot wide. Those huge peak chunks. I, have, of them. I don't have one that's a foot wide. I've got, I've got one that's uh, four feet long, two and a half inches thick and like five inches <sighs> wide. So crazy. Wow. And then I also, I also have one that's six inches by six inches by like, 18 inches Jeez. Uh, that just sits on my workbenches. I polished all four sides that are cut um, and it just sits on my workbench and I smile <laughs> at it every time I walk by it. It's, it's patinaed. It's like this super dark, rich brown yep. color. Um, it's just super. I beautiful. bought a beautiful yeah. sheet of it uh, while we were at uh, Blade Show in Atlanta. Real nice vintage sheet. Uh, I, I can't wait to, to put it on a, a few classic builds that I'm going to be doing. So one of the yeah. things I like about the vintage type stuff is the yeah. stuff that was hit by UV light. And you'll see that a lot in like uh, fender guitars, the older fender guitars that they use the, the epoxy that they used and stuff on them mm-hmm. and the finish that they used that it, it really didn't take the UV light well and it yellowed it mm-hmm. and changed it, you know, some really cool colors. The Micarta kind of does that too with the UV light, the stuff that hits it. And I think that makes just it, makes it unique very unique yeah okay yeah so one one of the pieces that i have um 
the canvas layers, uh, they used a little bit different layer and there's like an eighth of an inch that just turned like super dark brown inside this lighter brown. Hmm. Um, I thought that was super that cool. Unique. Um, and then sometimes like on the edge where that's exposed to the UV light, like Dave was talking about, it'll actually like darken in like almost like a, like a bar called like an ombre fade or whatever. Yes. Um, so, Oh yeah. Yeah. They, what were you I saying? I was going to say, uh, again, <laughs> we're not changing subjects, same subject, whatever he, he was talking about the UV light, uh, still, still handle material. Uh, I think the, the people have had this big kick with the, the glow in the dark and the, the stuff that oh, they, yeah. they do with the, the glow in the dark, uh, mm-hmm. liners, pins, or the actual handle material. Now uh, we saw some of the like carbon fiber, materials and the different ones yeah. uh, at blade show where they would light them up with the pin and or with like one of their lights and uh it glow mm. and uh some of those materials like a slab of like just a set of scales were like 85 bucks 90 bucks man uh for or for more. quarter inch uh quarter inch thick little bitty old pieces and i was just thinking oh my gosh i get it that it glows in the dark but uh <laughs> it's got to do with lightsabers you know ever since star wars comes out man anything that glows and you know what i mean it. it's got to do with lightsabers <laughs> gotta have it yeah yeah mark had mentioned the the darth maul lightsaber thing like i think i was uh, around 13 or 14 when uh when i saw the phantom menace that uh episode one in the theater for the first time and darth maul like and that was before like the internet was really like super big for like spoilers and stuff. So, um, oh, yeah. when Darth Maul came out and he shot his lightsaber out the one side, and then he shot out the other side. It was, everybody was like, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so. no, I agree. And, uh, that is just, you know, I, I see some of these things where people are, you know, cause people are trying to invent stuff. They're trying to, to be the, the first in the NAF community to make a thing. And um, so it's always interesting to go in to the shows and and see all these innovative things that people are coming up with that I'll probably never use. But I know that a lot of knife makers are going to see it and go, that's really, really, really cool. Don't know when I'm going to use it, but I got to get it now (laughs) because there's going to be a time that I'm going to need to make something with that. And uh, so. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention the the glow in the dark of glow in the dark geeks that I know, Mr. Dan Eastland. <laughs> uh, he actually has a patent for the glow in the dark chunks on in resin on handle material. Really, really. Uh, that he gotten, yeah. So, uh, he has this, uh, firefly scale that he does, uh, with different colors and this glow in the dark chunks and stuff that, uh, is in there. It looks super cool, but, um, yeah, he's a, he's a total glow in the dark nerd. Oh, Um, I I can see that (laughs) they're seeing some of the stuff that he does. Uh, you can tell that he's kind of a glow in the dark nerd. (laughs) Oh, darn. Yeah. What he said. One one of the things that he said was pretty cool is uh, the grind room when he shuts the lights off after he's been working a bunch of it. All the dust, uh, all over the place, that. is glowing. Yeah, what happens when <laughs> so. they take a check sack ready for him? 
<laughs> I don't, he, he is very good at wearing a respirator good, on in the next in the next episode of the uh the knife perspective he's actually doing a series uh called the respirator roundup oh. and uh he's uh fed up with his 7000 series 3m respirator and he's been uh, he's got three on the bench right now that he's trying out and he's got a couple more that he's going to try out and he's, uh, going to give his, uh, opinions and stuff. And he, uh, he, the, I, I, it's just so gross. He said like when it's uh super hot, he'll like have to go out of the grind room and he'll take his respirator off and dump the sweat out of Jeez. it. Like, uh, so, my God. <laughs> so if you've been in the military and had to wear a chem warfare gear, that is, uh, that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. i can imagine I, yeah. I see a lot of the people doing the the full-blown helmet you know setups and and all that and um in the in the youtube yeah, world the, for, the forced yeah. air stuff yeah yeah i have yeah. forced air yeah. oh really i bet that it's it's nice that's a lot a lot cooler right a lot cooler i mean it's it's the, I can't remember the name because I had it when I was doing uh, cabinet work, woodwork. That may be it. I was doing woodwork and stuff too, and it just fits. It fits around your beard so you can have a beard because sealing, you know, is, is pretty important yep. on those. And it fits around your beard and it fits. And uh, it's got a battery in it and it's got a HEPA filter kind of in the back and it just forces air up yep. and around your face. And I mean, nice. it, it's uh, it's great. You know, as far as keeping, because when my face is covered, you know, the having that air blowing is nice. That, that it lets me work in the shop a lot longer. It lets me kind of get lost in my work and lost in my creativity. Because mm-hmm. if I've got to stop and wring out sweat or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna squirrel. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to find something else to go to go do for a little bit. You know, I, I'm just gonna squirrel. That's yeah. just me. Yeah. It's not as hot up here, but I got two window air conditioners in the shop this year and I walked into the shop this morning. It was 71 degrees. There you go. Like, that's what I'm yeah, talking about. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. Walked into my shop this morning. It's 120. No. <laughs> yeah. Hard pass. This oh, morning. Man. I'm talking about at like yeah. 10 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. It, was, yeah. it wasn't 120. Uh, it was like work- 105, but still. If you work in a garage and stuff, a lot of people think you should open the garage door and stuff right away when, uh, in the morning, you should try to keep it as closed up until you can't stand it anymore and then open it. Yeah. Get that Um, second wind. Helps keep the cool, Mm -hmm. helps keep the cool air in a lot longer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't. Now talking about in working garages, what type of filtration do y'all have any passive or active type of filtration in your workshops, workspaces? Yeah. I use my lungs. (laughs) (laughs) that filters it out for everybody else in the family yeah mark's the real man i have a i have a win but the air thing you're talking about you wear is called trend a trend trend trend. but um no i have a a win up on the ceiling okay and uh air conditioner i have a big window unit in my shop um i turn wood for years, man, the sweat, you know, and, and back then I was a lot younger and it didn't bother me. The last five years is like, man, you, you got the money to go buy an air conditioner, man. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Whenever, uh, whenever I get my doors finished and, uh, get them insulated, I'll, uh, I've got a mini split that I'm putting, uh, with the shop. So it'll do my, 
my main shop that's going to be the clean area and mm. then the the four the, the big shop uh it'll all be heated and cooled. good good that's the way to go so, man it'll, yeah, it'll yeah. be a lot that's nicer awesome. next year but this year yeah i'm just gonna die <laughs> sweating to the oldies baby <laughs> yeah. i I use both. So I've got a, an active dust collector that I use for my handle materials and stuff. Uh, goes into a big dust deputy cyclone and then into a paper uh, mm-hmm. filter. I got the Rockler upgraded one for my Shop Fox dust collector that got rid of that nasty felt bag uh, that anytime you touch it, you'd see a ton of dust like mm-hmm. come out of it. Um, and then uh, I've got a, a jet. Uh, passive dust collector that has a remote that you can set it for two four yeah. eight hours so mm-hmm. cool. when i've done a big handle material uh grinding thing if i if i haven't had the garage door open with a fit with a i've got a squirrel cage fan that blows like at my legs um to try to keep a bunch of that dust down all the dust that gets past the the dust collector yeah. suction tube yeah um i have that active one or the passive one run for two or two, four, eight hours after, depending on how much I've been grinding. Yeah. You got to have a dust collection. I know I have one too, but still, I mean, it's, you got to have that man. Cause that G10 in my car to my gosh, man. Yep. That's a, yeah. I really think if you can try to get a cyclone for as much of the, the really fine stuff as yes. we do, um, I really think you need a cyclone cause whatever, mm-hmm dust collector you buy that bag or the paper filter is just going to fill up yeah that's what i have i have a i have a dust topper that goes on a five gallon bucket and you know i I just i just dumped that bucket i haven't dumped it in probably about three weeks and i went and dumped a bucket and my bags were still empty in my i have a bag and a filter in my inside the um, vacuum and and Mm. and the bag is still is still empty so that's a yeah. must, man. You got to have that. Yeah. That cyclone works good yeah. too. Oneida. I think it's Oneida or Ryder. Dust. Yeah. Oneida. 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 Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. They're too. the ones who make the dust deputy yeah. stuff. Oh, right. It's the um, people that make the French I couldn't fries. believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I've actually yeah. seen some homemade ones with the uh, traffic cones. Yep. You know, they're making homemade, yep. the homemade dust deputies with traffic cones, yeah. you know, and PVC yeah. pipes. So yeah. I put that big, like, uh, stainless steel uh, tray in my or uh, my sandblaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't believe how much dust my, uh, my vacuum was able to suck up and out of mm-hmm. that um so i i now have a cyclone for my my sandblaster also yeah. the to help reclaim because that that sand bla- that glass bead ain't no cheap. i dump it back in so, there I, I have a separate bucket yeah. with my thing yeah. and I, take, I got one just for my dust yeah, collector and i dump now. it right back in man keep going man yeah that's the only way yeah. to do it yeah it sucked out uh probably two-thirds of what i had in there uh after doing like 12 blades mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So I mean, that's, that's about seventy five dollars for fifty pounds of it. <laughs> so that's, yeah. That's just... Yeah, that was about five. It, it sucked out about six yeah. pounds of media in that twenty five minutes or so. How you liking that? It works good on it. Yeah, it's working yeah. pretty well. Um, getting a good consistent finish is a little bit harder than I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be. Um, uh, so one once I sandblast it 
and then I throw it in the tumbler. Sometimes I'll still see those grind lines mm-hmm. that you can't see yeah. uh, when you're sandblasting. Um, so that's been a little bit of a, a learning curve. A bunch of these knives that I'm going to be making for Knife Center, uh, quite a few of them are going to be blasted and polished. Mm-hmm. So yeah. pretty excited well, for that. Speaking of that, yeah. what, what, do you, uh, what do you all have coming up with you in your shops over the next couple of weeks? You want to go first, Don? Yeah, I can go. Um, well, I'm right now, man. I'm I'm in the middle of um, doing some um, some blanks and blocks. I got a guy who wants me to make him a few blocks, um, epoxy, you know, hybrid blocks, and then then I'll get back into doing some knife making, you know. And uh, but other than that, that's about it, man. I've been stuck. Like I said I've been stabilizing uh, for the last couple of weeks. I did forty something pounds of burl. And then um, now it's now it's epoxy time. <laughs> yeah. uh, you working on some kitchen knives or bushcraft? I'm a, me, I'm I'm working. I need. I have two kitchen knives. They're six inch petty knives that I started on, but I haven't finished on them yet. But I'm gonna be back on that, doing that. So um, I got two of them. I've been I've been putting them off because I had other people want to buy some other things. So. I decided, you know what, I when I get run into epoxy and get done get that done, then I'm gonna go back in and finish up the kitchen knife. So chef now. So that's about it for me, man. What do you got going on, Dave? I uh I've got a couple of knives on the table that I'm finishing out. I um I'm working on some actual cutting boards for some projects and some giveaways coming up. Um so some of kind of the ones that I did before with uh, the world championship hamburger, some of those design cutting boards, the real thick chef cutting boards. I've got some of those I'm working on. So mm-hmm. um, I don't have air conditioning in my shop. So I tend to slow down as it comes to, uh, to August. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you one of my prized possessions is my big, big hand Dave cutting board. The, I've got it on my, my table with some knives on it. Uh, so people can do their rock chopping or test out a blade there on the, the table. Uh, beautiful. Board. Is that ingrain, Dave? Uh, no, it is actually, is actually, um, just side grain. I, I do some ingrain. Um, he was wanting it more for decoration and it, yep. it just depends. You know, most of the chefs want ingrain so yep. that it doesn't dull their knife blades up. And uh, I do that also kind of like, I guess, more booze blocks kind of looking, cutting mm-hmm. boards like that. I do that. Uh, but when you're really wanting like a, a decoration, and back a few years ago, I did one for a, a guy that was competing in the World Hamburger Championship, food championships in Dallas. And his burger actually won. And I designed the, the little block it was on. And I, I didn't do ingrain because... Um, you know, I, I didn't want it to overwhelm the burger. You know, I just wanted something simple, sleek. And I did a walnut with three maple stripes off center. Yep. Something just enough to drag the eye to that, that it was that something just wouldn't right. You know, because if it's if you see something that's just not right, your eye keeps going to it, especially as you know, woodworkers and knife makers and your craftsmen, your, your eyes. And so that's what I kind of did. I did three stripes 
off center an odd number of straps off center and it it really it got top marks and so that's kind of what's took me as far as when i design one for looks or i design one that's just going to be in a kitchen yep. you know if it's just going to be in a kitchen and just use it it'd be all in grain yeah but if it's looks and going to be you know presentation knives on it and stuff like kyle's doing it'll be edge grain yeah yeah, I think the one he made for me had some walnut and ash and maple. I think were the maybe a little bit of cherry. Yeah, nice. it did. Nice. So, what are you working on, Mark? Uh, well, I got to finish uh, sanding this blade here with the uh, with the firework on it, and, and the goal for for this weekend is to hopefully tomorrow I'll epoxy the get the uh, the handles all glued up, and then uh, and then I could you know work on shaping the handle on Sunday. But then really, uh, my goal, my next goal is to, you know, I have the, uh, some, some like, maybe it's like three inch, uh, blade EDCs, uh, you know, those uh, two of them I made came out pretty good. And, and so I want to make like five of the same knife, uh, and, and just kind of practice dialing that in, you know, just kind of do all the bevels, all the, you know, go, you know, j- just kind of go from one to the other, just to really right now, but did them all sequentially. And, uh, I, I want to, uh, you know, just kind of practice doing that one task, not like a thousand times, but maybe like five times. So, uh, I think I'm just going to, uh, mark out five blanks and, and, uh, cut those out sometime next week. And, and then I can just find a time where I could start going through those. Yeah. I think you'll be surprised how much better your bevels yep. get doing that repetition over, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, doing the same thing a couple of times. Yep. So, so, oh yeah. So for me, I've got, uh, like I mentioned before, a bunch of those MagnaCut pocket bushcrafters and bushcrafters that all may go into Knife Center. So I'll be hating life grinding uh, MagnaCut. I didn't, uh, for my bushcrafters, I don't go quite as hard as I do on my um, kitchen knives. These are like 62 and a half, kind of at the top end of that toughness curve uh, that Laren kind of found in his documentation there. So uh, a little bit a little bit more tough, uh, but still a pretty, pretty hard edge there. Mm. So, all right. Um, let's see here. Uh, Chip wanted me to say, uh, questions and comments, uh, product reviews, show notes, and guest ideas, uh, subscribe to the email at knives, templars at yahoo.com, mm. uh, or DM us on Facebook at knives, templars podcast group. Um, visit us at knivestemplars.com to stay up to date on all the, the new news and stuff. Um, episodes are sponsored by the rivers experience, last blade sanding knifewood.com, Ameribraid, majestic forge, mm-hmm. Byford's guns, pops, knife supplies, maritime knife supply, and Phoenix abrasives. And at Phoenix abrasives, use Templars 10 for 10% off your order. And, uh, thank you guys. And, uh, get into the after show let's okay. do it yeah hey uh I, I, I don't know if i should say it say good night kyle <laughs> good night kyle <laughs> that, i think that's actually going to be our sticker for next year so oh, okay uh, this right. year this year was stay, say good night yeah. and then next year you're gonna get uh, kyle yeah. i figured uh, you never got I'm, the billing on that so so we had to give you some love yeah yeah we that's part of what we use some of our sponsorship money for is making those stickers and stuff and uh yeah we 
made up some posters and stuff with the yeah i love the, the poster. Beer love, label it's, so. it's an awesome beer label uh, i think that's like uh you, you hit the mark on that one that was great yeah i've got some some pretty interesting ideas for next year's a little bit little same sci-fi theme uh beer label got a couple of ideas that uh i think we're gonna have a pretty impressive sticker for next year sweet it's pretty cool man yeah, nice so, i'll tell you the person that 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 thought it through again brian with his freaking shirts uh brian house he he literally brought like 200 shirts uh <laughs> and just handing them out to every maker youtuber everything the first so he handed them out on thursday and friday and everybody was wearing them saturday and sunday so he got like just walking billboards <laughs> the whole yeah. blade show and then of course we're all wearing them in our in our youtube videos and all that stuff so that was that was yeah. a good little bit of you know mm. free pr chunk of change mm-hmm. yeah, he's pretty yeah chunk of change. Nah, definitely not yeah, free not because sure, yeah it, no. i think it cost him yeah, like two yeah. grand yeah but that's a lot of shirts but that, yeah, it's hard to buy, hard to buy that much advertising, getting your yeah. name out there. I mean, there's people that I think our budget at my job is like, like 7,500 a month, uh, <laughs> in, in PR stuff. So, uh, $2,000 for people wearing your stuff for the next year, uh, is not bad. And, uh, no. I, I, yeah. I might, I might do something kind of like that with, uh, with with next year whenever we actually have the podcast at blade show atlanta so Mm -hmm. we'll see how that goes yeah (laughs) yeah i i'm pretty or uh, i was pretty excited to see that he uh were those sticker packs he gave out with with the the rulers rulers. uh he had a he had a different little quote on there so now i'm like now now i got to even be more careful keeping track of where where these go so i make sure i have the whole set when he keeps doing those <laughs> oh yeah year. oh yeah i agree but he so, but brian, really good. brian's a good dude yeah he is a really good guy man super guy and uh brent uh i was right next to him uh his friend dave and john um they were the table right behind phoenix abrasives and uh john and dave man uh those two guys that that brent uh had mm-hmm. with them the those guys helped helped him sell a ton of knives uh those guys were were big helps for him that's good man so yeah yeah john john he's uh he's got some add and uh he he was pounding a couple monsters and he was like pew 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 pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> he goes he goes people are gonna pay me to stop talking to him <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah they uh it, it was a good show for a lot of people and uh i'm happy that a lot of people were able to sell their knives and and do really good it's the the interesting thing about blade show is you know uh, all the people that are there at the the doorbusters that are there in the lines waiting to get in. They're going to microtech. They're going to these, like, you know, the, the manufactured knives because they're wanting a specific knife. They're wanting these specific things. And, uh, and you got these guys that are just wonderful makers who are making these handcrafted, beautiful knives. And, uh, 
people whenever so i was in the line with a lot of the door busters because I, I i used uh dennis i got a cat pass from him so i was part of the early entry and i'm sitting there i'm talking to all these people that are knife collectors and they don't know any of the small makers there which in our yeah. world those baker those makers are huge you know what i mean yeah. like we've known them for a long time uh, as fellow makers and these guys have no clue who any of these guys are. They don't even understand what a journey Smith yeah. person is, what a master Smith, why it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand that these guys that are there that are master Smiths actually designed the initial things that those other manufacturers are replicating or yep. That mm-hmm. the Damascus that's in some of those blades are were yeah. patterns that were designed by the guy that's sitting down there at a booth. That if he didn't come up with that stuff, mm-hmm. that sh- that it just wouldn't exist. And uh, they have no clue who he yeah. is. And it's just like yeah. mind-boggling. <laughs> uh, I, I wish that yeah. that side of the show got that love, like the other side of the show. You know, people. Yeah. I think I, you got, you got to love it. Cause those people are the ones that are drumming up the excitement and stuff for everybody else. Those, those guys were lining up on Monday. Yeah. yeah. They sat outside in the Atlanta heat Monday night to all day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to get in at uh 10 o'clock on Friday oh, yeah. or noon on Friday yeah, It's or whatever. It's it was. absolutely <laughs> crazy, but they wanted, you know, super specific. And and I I I went to the show wanting a specific thing. And of course, as a manufacturer knife, uh, but uh, it, it's one of those deals where you just you don't realize that the the people that are there are, you know, as important as they are within the knife making community, and that they actually have their work there. Like you could buy the thing that the other people are replicating. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those guys don't have any idea who Michael Walker is. And if you haven't heard of Michael Walker and haven't looked at some of his stuff, you need to, uh, he was the guy that invented the liner lock. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's some of the stuff like people like that. Like I was talking to, uh, a couple of people at the, the knife makers guild and, um, you don't realize how, how influential some of those people are. And they're just normal people like like all yep. of us, they'll, they'll talk to you. Like I got pretty intimidated. Um, um, when, uh, when I was getting my guild stuff signed, um, the guy or, uh, Andy Roy goes, you need to go over and have uh, bill Rupel come over and look at these. And I'm like, Hey, all right. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and, uh, and I, I go, uh, bill, would you, uh, I'd love for you to come check my knives out to sign my application for the knife makers guild. And, uh, uh, Luke Swenson was standing there next to him and he goes, do you need another person too? And I was like, actually I do, but I'm kind of intimidating. It's like, nah, don't, you'll be fine. <laughs> so it was uh pretty cool having those two guys sign off on my, my knife makers guild application. Heck, that's yeah. good. That's awesome. Congratulations, man. man. Thanks. Yeah. I, I got my, my voting membership this year. So I'm a full, full member of the, the national knife makers guild. Nice. So that's yeah. awesome. Nice. Uh, that was pretty much, one of the highlights for me, it was, I was nervous, uh, trying to get four knives as, as beautiful as I could get them. And Jason Fry was actually one of the two guys that, uh, 
was the the judge for the the final one i i walked in and he said how you doing i'm like pretty nervous and he goes nah don't be (laughs) (laughs) he goes for the for the for the voting one we don't see many bad knives so he goes all all those usually get uh weeded out for before they even get to the application Mm -hmm. so Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I was still still worried you want to always try to make the best knife you can make Absolutely. Right? so uh anybody else have anything else i think uh chip's wanting us to to wrap it up so he's not having to edit for 100 hours <laughs> you sure he doesn't want four hours worth of stuff to edit no it makes sense we've been going for about so two, for the just over yeah for the highest bidder next year at Blade Show, I think I'm going to like bring an accordion and stand at the door for when they open it up and play the final countdown and walk to whoever's table wants me to. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they got the bagpipe person. Yeah, they didn't have him to... there this year. The bagpipe person. Really? Yeah. You, usually they go to Dark Timber. Yeah, the bagpipe person, like but he wasn't there this year. So I wished I'd have brought my accordion, and uh, I would have just walked them around different tables. <laughs> One of the <laughs> the first year I was there in 2018, uh, Dark Timber was really pretty close to us, um, and I got to witness the the ma- the literal madness oh, that yeah. was there at that table. They sold, I think they said they sold 180 something knives in 15 minutes. The, the crazy thing about that yeah. brand is their resale. Like if you go to Lords of Steel on Facebook or all these different little knife selling things, the resale on those knives. Uh, insane is it did you go to the did you go to blade show when bussy was in that back corner no when did you start oh, going to blade a couple show years now for for the current stuff before yeah. that it was earlier yep. do you ever hear of mm-hmm. bussy knives they used to be a real yep. big thing um but they would they would have business cards and they would like toss them out into the crowd and that gave you the opportunity to come up to the to the uh bench and buy yep. one and people were like literally like punching <laughs> each other and uh there's video there was video of a like asian woman that totally jacked this like guy and and stole the business card so, from him. this this <laughs> so. knife right here is the knife that i got from blade show and uh they had the booth for them uh but they weren't selling them they would tell you okay so so-and-so has two of them, so-and-so has three of them, so-and-so has one of them. Uh, and you could only get that many of them because they're, they've are they been out of stock for years. Uh, you cannot buy them. And uh, it is uh, a Kershaw in MagnaCut, so, okay. which you really can't get any Kershaw in MagnaCut. You can't – if you tried to find one, you wouldn't find one. And um, – so it, that's kind of how it is. Like you literally, you have to try and find it. And we were just walking through the show and there was just one off to the side right here. And I was like, I'll buy that. I didn't know how much it cost, but I knew that I was going to buy it, whatever it was. And, uh, and I was Ooh. able to get it. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous how some of those things work where they, you go in there and those people are seriously like handing out business cards. And if you get lucky enough, you're good. <laughs> yeah. All righty, guys. And with that, uh, want to say good night. We can do that. Oh, yeah. Good night, yeah. guys. All right. Have a great week. Good night, everybody. Yeah, everybody have a great night. You guys. Good night, guys. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate y'all. You. Appreciate it. <laughs>
Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Brought to you by Porkhouse Productions. Oinky, oinky, oinky. Majestic Forge is owned and operated by Brian and Kayla Horn in Rushville, Ohio. With many years of experience manufacturing two to five burner gas forges, Majestic Forge is your number one source for blacksmith forges, barrier forges, and specialty forges. They are dedicated to creating top of the line forges at a price you can afford. Majestic Forge has supplied forges to blacksmith schools, high schools, colleges, production shops, and TV shows such as Mythbusters. And Majestic Forge is the forge of choice for televisions forged in fire. Knife makers are in luck as they offer forges that come with two or three deluxe burners. Here at Knives Templars, we are sure that you can find a USA-made Majestic Forge to suit your needs. Check out your next forge at MajesticForge.com.
Looking for a brand new or used firearm in or around Hartsville, Alabama? Head on down to Byford's Gun Shop and explore their latest offers and deals. On top of a great selection of high quality and affordable firearms to fit your needs, their staff will have you driving away with a smile. Byford's is a third generation business that has been serving customers since 1971. Started by Joe and his father Ernest, the business continues to prosper well into the 21st century with Jeff Byford's knowledge and leadership. With brands like Benelli, Clock, Six Hour, and many others, you won't go wrong. Also check out their large selection of AR-15s and hunting rifles and many calibers. Byford's carries ammunition, special installation service, knives, accessories, transfers, and customer service that's second to none. Stop in and see them at 510 Main Street West in Hartsville, Alabama, or like them on Facebook at Byford's Gun Shop. Their team can be reached at 256-778-3111. That's Byford's Gun Shop, where they go the extra mile to satisfy your shopping experience. Head on over today. They'll be waiting for you with friendly faces.